Namaste, motherfuckers. And welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 68. Emily Skinner. Emily Skinner is uh, a Richmond export who grew up here in Churchill with all of us other crazy little bad news bears, Churchill kids in the 70s and 80s. And we went to the same middle school. I don't think we... Yeah, we went to the same elementary school and middle school, I think. Maybe we didn't. We might have talked about this. She might have gone to Cary. And we both went to Thomas H. Henderson. And, uh, you know, now Emily is a musical theater actress, which she talks about in here, Relative Merits. And we did this podcast, like, two months ago we had this conversation when she was here doing MAME at the uh, November Theater, I think is what it's called now. And I never got to see it, unfortunately, and I did want to. But uh, we did get, I did get her over here and complete the set of Skinner Sisters. You know, we had Eliza on very early on, uh, over a year ago, Thanksgiving time. And uh, equally talented and in, 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 into totally different things, the Skinner Sisters are. Um, I had a really great conversation with Emily, and if you're new to this podcast, that's what they are, they're conversations, um, so don't get surprised when you hear me talking a lot, because it's really not meant to be an interview, it's meant to be like, what happens when we mix Curtis with this person, what happens when we mix Curtis with that person. I'm always striving for balance, um, but um, I can only be as balanced as I'm aware, and sometimes I talk more than I really mean to, but that's what it is, it's, uh, it is... To me, the idea is that you get it all, in this case, two hours and 12 minutes of conversation, and, you know, take what you need and leave the rest. Um, I will not be editing them. And this one's a little frustrating. I, I figured out with a lot of these that I, my, I always turn my mic down because it seems like it's really loud, but I don't get the levels right for the individual mics. And I finally figured it out, but this is probably one of the last ones where it's not so hot. But it's all right, whatever. You can hear. Um, turn it up if you need to turn it up. So we go into this podcast. I uh, just I just came back from New York um, yesterday. My birthday was on Thursday. I turned 45 years old, and I um, that's kind of shocking. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, what does that even mean? I don't feel like whatever the hell I thought 45 was supposed to feel like. I mean, I feel like I'm just getting a handle on this stuff. I feel like I'm... Man, I don't know. I feel like what I think 28 was supposed to feel like, but when I was 28, I felt like I was 18. So, you know, maybe I'm like on an elephant schedule and I'm maturing very slowly. I think there's not a maybe to it. I am maturing very slowly. And I do believe I am maturing. And I, um, you know, in my process of doing that, I like to observe things that maybe I didn't used to observe before. Maybe I didn't used to have anything to say about it, but through the lens of how I'm trying to live my life now, these things really stand out to me um, as being, wow, you know, why do I just take that for granted? Why does anyone take this stuff for granted? And, um, now for instance, I mean, I was in I was in New York City. I had to take the train back yesterday from, Grand, from Penn Station. And when they announce what gate that train is going to be in, all of the human beings that are in that place that are waiting to get on that train race each other to the escalator to get on there. I don't know what they're racing for. I guess it's to make sure that they get a seat, but a lot of people aren't even satisfied with just getting a seat. They want two seats. You know, like they will get on that train 
to get a seat and then they'll put all their shit in another seat and try to discourage anybody from sitting next to them and um it really makes me like kind of like damn that is why i don't live in new york anymore that that for whatever reason i mean i love it when i'm up there it's really exciting it's really great energy but you know counter to what you would think and, and this isn't true of everybody up there but it's true of a lot of people up there Counter to what you would think that you recognize that you're sharing some pretty limited space with a lot of other people. That's why your rent's so high. But you're going to have to, like, kind of have a more of a uh, group mentality about things. But no, man, people, there's certain people up there, they're just like, no, no, that just means I need to really, you know, clear that much more space around me. I need to be that much more aggressive. I need to be that much more selfish and narcissistic. And it really does, like encourage a kind of narcissism that's nuts and i know i was a, a victim of it myself and i think i made me might have even caused me to become a little mentally ill or exasperated pre-existing condition to live there but i mean that doesn't happen to everybody but you can see i mean i, I can give you tons of examples of witnessing it as past week actually i didn't, it wasn't even there a weekend i was there 24 hours like i got up there on friday went to a meeting my boss said i could stay in his apartment gave me the keys he went out of town i stayed in his apartment until uh saturday and i got i basically met my friend for lunch and then got back on a train but the friday night that i was there i went to eric roper my friend's art opening in williamsburg and i had there were about six old friends from when i used to live up there that showed up i went to dinner with them at a great restaurant next door and really had a, it was a real shot in the arm um to be up there and to remind me that like you know i can't i can definitely get succumb to the comfort of living in richmond and not feel that inspired and not try that hard and not work that hard and just kind of do a lot of tv watching and it really inspired me to get busy while I was up there, and I want to, I want to go back and visit more often, but I, I don't think I ever want to live there again because I don't want to get back into that headspace where I've got to like race people for a seat. It's yeah, the train. It's like musical fucking chairs on the train that the music stops playing and you're gonna be left standing up. I mean, all the fear and selfishness that goes into that is just really mind-boggling. Anyway, another thing that's kind of mind-boggling to me is, um, you know, I had to go away and uh, from Richmond to get my shit together to the degree that it is together to the degree that I am where I am now I had to leave and many people who were Richmond people who went to Minnesota to do that also told me you should never go back to Richmond there's nothing for you there it's just not going to work out it's no good and uh, I said well maybe not for you or whatever and I'm you know my family's here I'm going to go back but it is definitely hard for me and it's not hard because I'm sober. It's hard because I changed my attitude about things, and many of my old friends didn't. And when I try to advocate for the attitude that I have about things now, I can catch some serious shit, some mean fucking shit. It really it happened to me today on Facebook. I had really asshole stuff thrown my way, you know, kind of denigrating and dismissive of, of what I am, you know. I've tried something. I think a different way. I believe in constantly trying to be compassionate and change my thinking i'm not trying to front and say that i'm like levitating off the ground or i'm sitting on top of a mountain i'm just saying i tried this i used to be a cynical angry resentful pissed off you know person and i'm not anymore and i'm not because i did some very practical things that anybody could do and i'm not even telling anybody else to do that stuff i'm just saying 
you know, there are other perspectives, and I will advocate for them. And when I do advocate for those perspectives, I seriously catch some shit. And I'm kind of surprised at how isolated from my existing friends that I left Richmond. I mean, I felt isolated from when I was here because I was a fuck-up. Now I'm equally isolated from them, you know. And I'm not, like, you know, crying the blues about that, but it is an interesting thing to observe that – um we're in parallel dimensions, some of us, not all of us. There's plenty of old friends that I have renewed and stronger and really awesome relationships, but there's a lot of people who are deciding for me whether or not I should be invited to something because they're all getting drunk. I don't give a shit. Alcohol doesn't have anything to do with anything to me at this point. To me, it's about insanity, you know, and I don't want to be insane, and I don't think that your drinking can make me insane, so it's really not a problem. For me, um, and I apologize if you're just listening to this podcast to listen to Emily talk. You should really skip ahead because this doesn't have anything to do with that. But maybe it does because we do talk pretty candidly about why I was where I was and the way I see things, and you know, kind of comparing notes about growing up over 20 years without seeing each other, 30 years without seeing each other. Um, I don't know where else to go with this stuff, but like I do this podcast, I put what I, I'm relatively as altruistic as I can be about what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and what I'm putting out there. And I and I say as I can be because everybody has a, a level of selfishness that escapes or eludes their notice. That's why we need other people to remind us. But I'm I'm trying. I haven't given up. I'm not sitting in a you know in a funk and saying fuck the world. You know, I, I don't believe fuck the world. I believe that this is, uh, this is, this world is as redeemable as I am and as I was. And, uh, that's what I will continuously advocate for that, you know, anger is, is a healthy emotion and it is a normal part of life, but it is, should not be your guiding force. It shouldn't, it, it you're just going to hurt yourself. I'm, I'm not saying that should because, um, <clears throat> I'm, again, telling anybody what to do. I'm saying I know from personal experience how uncomfortable it is to live your life based on being angry at the injustices of the world. You want to make a better place, make a better place. Just get, find your solution, whatever your solution is, find it. And please, for God's sakes, don't shit on people who have figured out a solution and are working on it just because you're stuck in whatever the fuck you're stuck in, you know? So, yeah, and also, anybody got anything to say about the stuff they hear on this podcast? You know, let's talk about it in the context of Tantric Conversation on the website or on, on Facebook. Don't go after my, uh, on on the Tantric Conversation Facebook page, don't go after me passive-aggressively in a thread where we're talking about some unrelated issue. You know, stuff that I'm not bringing up in that thread I've talked about on here. You know, you want to throw that shit out there, throw it in my face. Look at me, man. I'm calling people out. You know, I know a lot of angry dudes. Just drop the fucking rock already. Stop. Stop it. There, you, It's equally fucking arbitrary to be happy as angry. So just pick happy. Pick positive. You can just choose it. Like you're choosing fucking coffee or what you're going to eat for lunch. You can just choose to have a different perspective. Sometimes it's hard to get it to stay that way. It takes a long time. But there are all kinds of practices that can help you with it. All kinds of them. There are tons of them out there. And you know what? Getting wasted ain't going to work. That's not going to – it won't stick. And it just makes things worse. Try a little fucking yoga. Try a little meditation. 
Try some other faith-based thing. Try something that has a chance of sticking and being sustainable. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not trying to tell anybody to do anything specific, but fucking for God's sake, try something, all right, instead of just shitting on and hating on the world that you live in because it's, it's really boring and infantile. So here you go. That's what I got to say. And um, please, if you have anything to say about that, there is a page. There's a comment section. Comment. All right. Let's get in, Emily. Launch on into this. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting house. I just acquired that um, bed from my grandmother's house. It's, like it's terrific. Old, you know, it's like one of those old farm yeah. beds. It's also it came with built-in springs underneath it. Built-in and that's that are still good. They're still yeah, like. Yeah, they suck though. Oh yeah. They they work, but it like. Sit on it for a can second. Can you replace them? Do they do squeaky squeak strangers? No, they don't make noise. It's like a hammock, though. It's like, <laughs> it's so maybe funny. you can replace them. All right. Yeah, I think you have to. It's, it's a great it's a frame. Because it's actually part of the bed. Oh, so, yeah. shoot. Is there something you put on top to stable, to sort of... I put a box spring on top of yeah. it, but it's still kind of like... It's, it's still doing that. Yeah, it's still like... It, it's very much like a hammock in a lot of ways. Well, it's kind of, it's when good. you're in a hammock mood. That's right. You want to... Yeah, it, it does feel nautical when you lay there, so you can just sort of pretend you're on a ship. You know? Excellent. Ship at sea. Excellent. So, you have... How long have you been gone from Richmond now? Oh, God. Um, You know, I left here when I was 18. Did you really? Yep. I left here when I was 18 to go off to school in Pittsburgh. You just so this is this is the first time I've been back for a a substantial amount of time since then. Really? I mean, I you know I would come home for Christmases and and stuff like that, but but not for for this amount of time. Yeah. So it's it's been really interesting to yeah. see how Richmond has changed, what's changed, what hasn't changed. What's changed? Well, it's, we're, it's a fucking foodie town now. <laughs> I mean, I, I really like, where the hell am I? Do you remember when we were kids? There was, you were hard pressed to find yeah. a good place to eat. There was nowhere, no restaurant, no, like a restaurant. Nothing, yep. nothing. Even close, like you, if you went down to the bottom, there was something down there like uh, Johnson's Grill. Yeah, but it was slim pickings. Now yeah. it's like everywhere my god and we have neighborhood and up here mm-hmm. up here in church hill there was nothing and now it's like oh yeah we got restaurants we got little markets great restaurants great mm-hmm. markets what have you tried out since you've been here restaurant wise well i've been to dutch and company multiple right. times every time i can get somebody to agree to go, yeah. go there it's, it's great yeah it's great Oh my God, it's great! I've been meaning to, but I'm always uh, daunted by the fact that I might not be able to get a table. It's it's the so best long. meal I've had in in Richmond, oh. and I've had some really great meals here. It's terrific. And this is someone who lives in New York City. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm a foodie person, so that's it's really terrific. Did you make the connection that my little cousin Kirby works at Dutch and Company? No. She's the blonde that kind of yes. Yeah, works the floor. She's kind of a wait. Waiter, manager, kind of partner. I've seen her there mm-hmm. both times I've been there. Yeah, yeah. She's very nice. That's my mom's sister's daughter. I don't know if you remember oh my aunt, my Maudie, who actually lived around the corner from you, kind of. Like she managed uh, the 2300 no. club. No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's her daughter. I didn't really... Like, God, you're... Wow, you had a lot of family up here. You had more family than I knew. Yeah, we have... There's three sisters and their families, and they all live in a line on 28th Street. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. Wow. 
Even at Staples and Farley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's the same? What's the same? Well, the, the foodie stuff has sort of amazed me. The the massive branching out of VCU mm-hmm. has amazed me. Uh-huh. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Taken over everywhere. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, transformed that area um, in its own image. But then there's, there's other stuff that sort of, you know, feels, I mean, like, the Carytown has sort of always been fun, one wonderful and fun, and that's mm-hmm. to see that that's wonderful and fun still. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, all, all the sort of stuff that I that I sort of remembered and have b- good feelings about Maymont mm-hmm. and the Dell and all that stuff is is the same. And yeah. it's like it just feels good. It feels good. It still has that classic. There is still that thread of the classic Richmond. Oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. That was nice and nostalgic about. Yeah. Being a kid. And I still, I still think Churchill is the best, is the best place. Churchill mm-hmm. is the best area, and it's, it's been wonderful to sort of see that that's been, that's been really recognized. Mm-hmm. At yeah. least that's what it, what it seems like. There's mm-hmm. a lot of younger people moving up here, and I'm not sure if that's because they're, you know, they're sort of thinking, oh, this is a good place to raise families, or, or what. But it was a great place to grow up. Mm-hmm. I have great memories of growing up here, and I. I know that my aesthetic was created from being yeah. here, and I, I I like old houses and mm-hmm. I, I like what they what they stand for and yeah so I love it up here. It's, some I saw something recently talking about the uh, the Churchill is really drawing national attention now, and it is just amazing. Like it's been you know since we were kids, yep. people have been renovating houses up here, and it hasn't been like some massive flood. It's been an extreme. It's been a slow, a slow circle. creep, yeah. yeah. And but yet it's really wild to me. It's something that a, a small group of people worked really hard. My mother, to make one of them. Mm-hmm. My mother was definitely one of them. My parents moved up here in '69. Yeah. And they were. Um, my, my mother was were the first people to to um, work for Stark Richmond Foundation, mm-hmm. and then she founded uh, Acorn, and, and it really her whole sort of drive in life has been to sort of. And you guys, that, your house thrive. is on the pilot block. That, that yes, was the, original. the pilot block. Yeah. I like that you call it that. Uh, sure. Well, I don't call it that. That's what it's called. Like, <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it was the, the first block wow. of renovations and like the Crumleys. Yeah. Know, and like yeah. their place a few doors down. Yep. And yeah. Yeah, that was that was where it all began. You know, that was the first block yeah. that was completely renovated. You know, that's it interesting. Like, I don't know that I knew that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when did the block next to that? Did they do the block been, next to that it was after? Piecemeal. I guess you know the next thing they did was like yeah between 23rd and 24th was the next because okay. the 2300 right. club, you know I mean there were various houses but then the rest of it was kind of like you know somebody took fixed up a house and then there was like three that yeah, were trashed yeah. empty yeah. you know whatever like my, on my parents' block it was a lot of those houses when I was a kid and yeah the next block. The Schilling's house, that really big one, that was empty when they bought their house. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. yeah, there were kids. I remember this really clearly. I was standing on a fence looking across the street, and kids were running in the front door of that house up the stairs and jumping off the back, the second-story back porch onto a stack of mattresses that they'd found in there and threw outside. <laughs> I feel like I have that memory somehow. Yeah, That's interesting. Well, you might have, like we tried our own version of it, like Staples and yeah. Philip and I. Like we not quite as high. Like we just went out like uh, a ground floor window on mm-hmm. this mattress. 
Mm-hmm. Think about it now. I shouldn't have come in contact with those mattresses. No, you shouldn't have. No. <laughs> no. A lot of shenanigans. A lot of shenanigans. A lot of playing outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of sledding behind that convent. Yeah. Of pieces of cardboard. Oh, yeah. We used you to know. slide down the hill on cardboard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then there was the slide of death over by um, the uh, park house. Slide of, that? yes. Yeah, nice and iced up. You can go down the tubes. And... Do they still do high on the hog? Is that still a thing? It's not called that anymore, and it's not church. It's not neighborhood like Chuck. You're kidding! I sort of thought that was branded as a. It was and and Chuck and them stopped uh... doing it. You know, Chuck Wren and Shelby yeah, and Bobby yeah, yeah. Ryan. They stopped doing it many years ago. They got to like thirty. They moved it to Mayo Island. They brought it back up here, and then they stopped doing it. And style kind of took over they don't call it that now they call it like hogtober something wow and they, okay. they still have a thing but it's way more like whereas chuck had this eclectic thing there'd be gospel singers it'd be bluegrass yeah be it was it was a real funky party mm-hmm. yeah yeah they're they're more like kind of straight like you know rock and roll oh wow kind of stuff. Hmm. i haven't been to it it's most it's food trucks too it's not like one person making uh... barbecue but i've missed it the last years okay yeah well i was interested this time to learn because i was up here for when they had the the christmas tour that now it used to be that that christmas that candlelight walk that oh, they yeah. always uh-huh. did that i when like my you know bourgeois part of me always looked forward to um <laughs> they would start oh i'm sorry no they um they would start it at, at uh, wrva and then mm-hmm. they would go up and, and now they start it I guess they started like two or three blocks down from there. Oh, yeah? So it doesn't go by my house. WRVA meeting. The, what is that building now? I don't know. <laughs> what do you tell it's me? Some children's thing. You tell me. I don't even know. I, I've driven by it. I wanted it. I wanted to live in it. Yeah. At one point. That'd be a really cool house. But I don't know. Who knows? Some foundation there. But they, so they, they moved it a few blocks and they... Yeah, it doesn't go by my house. Here's, here's the bagpipes. Yeah. You know, I was like, I, well, they do, but they started a couple blocks down, so it's not. Hmm. And then it would end up at the statue. Yeah, it the still ends yeah. up in the statue, but I think it starts, I don't know, like a 22nd or something like that, 21st. It is funny you said bourgeois. I, re- I remember when all of us were like, did you go to Bellevue? Or did no, you to- I went to Cary. You went to Cary. Right. How did you swing? Well, why didn't you even go across the street to school anyway? You know, I I think for I think for some reason I didn't get into Bellevue the year that I was supposed to start, mm-hmm. and so that was that was why I was bussed off to Cary. Really? And then when I could get in, they were like, "Ah, eh, she's already ensconced." That's weird. Yeah. Because I didn't think I thought if you lived within walking distance of the school, you didn't have to be bussed. Nope. Yeah. Huh. Nope. It was at that at that point it was some sort of lottery thing. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. I I, I don't know. I, it may be different now, but it was. It um, is. I think they stopped doing the whole busing thing. Wow. I'm not sure, but yeah, we had. Because that got, would have been super convenient. Mm-hmm. You know. Really? Yes. Right across the street, but mm-hmm. everyone else in the neighborhood got to go there except. I don't know. Did they? Did you yeah, go to Bellevue? I went to Bellevue. So Lucy and Staples and Farland and Pierce, all my cousins. I didn't, I didn't get to and, go. I didn't go. Oh, yeah. But uh, we went. To, we all went to Henderson. We all together. went to Henderson. I think I blocked that out. Do you remember? <laughs> I blocked that whole period out. Do you remember when we rode the handicap bus? <laughs> yes. With Elliot? Yes. 
we had this great idea. Our bus is overcrowded. Elliot in the wheelchair is riding the short bus. There's only three people on it. Why shouldn't and it That's stops right. across the street from our bus? That's stop, right. Goes to the same school. That's right. So why shouldn't we ride? It? That's right. And we did. And we and did. They didn't like it very much. Like Mr. How did we get that? How did we? How did we get that to happen? We, well, just, we started just started getting on it. I came up with the idea, and I said, like, let's just do this, you guys. And so we did, and Mary, the lady who drove the bus, was okay with it. You know, she kind of agreed, well, it's going the same place. Yeah, interesting. And then um, I think we had to, like, then the transportation guy, like, at the school found out we were doing that, and he didn't like the entitled <laughs> aspect of us deciding <laughs> we were going to ride a different bus. So he made us go back to sitting three in a seat oh, on the other God. bus. Oh, God. And it took so much longer because there were more people. And mm-hmm. then, uh... It was totally unpleasant, whereas we could all have our own seat on the... That's right. There, only, there were three people in wheelchairs riding that bus, so there was nobody riding. That's right. So we volunteered to ride on the short <laughs> bus. Because the <laughs> short bus. But do you remember... Uh, this? I remember this really distinctly. You... And I were like wising off to each other or something, and it wasn't serious, but like we were like kidding around, and the bus driver thought it was serious, so she went, got off and went and got these bullies that were always hanging around behind Henderson, and like she thought I was really messing with you. Are so you kidding? Was, I don't have no memory of this. Yeah, they brought she brought them up on there, and a girl punched me in the face, like on the. <laughs> because Same. of me? Are you kidding? Yeah. No, oh my God, I'm sorry. It wasn't your fault. It was the usual thing that we did. You know, there was a lot of. Uh, you don't remember this? Do no, you? I don't. We had a lot of banter um, when we were. No, I do remember this. Yeah. I do remember. I don't. But I don't remember, remember that. No. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thirty years later, I'm yeah. sorry. It's okay. It wasn't your fault. It was Mary. That was extremely poor judgment of an adult to go get. That's bizarre. Some... Yeah. That she did that. Actually, I think I may have come to think of it. I might have exacerbated the situation, or she got off the bus for some other reason, and I closed the bus door. That's what it was. But that still doesn't say, let me get some people to punch the kid out yeah. on the bus. They were like high school kids that would come around. What the hey? Yeah. It was weird days that yeah. at school. Henderson was odd. That whole experience was odd. Did you it, yeah. did you get involved in performing arts at that point, or was it even earlier? I was I was even earlier. I was such a little freak. I was a Carrie in kindergarten. I was and I was so hyper that they were were not going to pass me on to first grade. And they were going to hold me back from mm-hmm. kindergarten, starting early, starting wow. really early with the <laughs> stuff. Um. And one day, t- towards the end of the uh, end of the school year, the kindergarten teacher came to me and said, "Okay, Emily, you're going to get ten minutes every day to entertain the class, and you can do whatever you want. But then after that's over, you have to sit down and be with the class for the rest of the day." And that was the thing I think that sort of opened Pandora's box mm-hmm. of awfulness. So it was sanctioned clown or whatever. Oh yeah, that. yeah. It was my ten minutes of glory. And then what did you? How did did you do? St- Spark? I did. I did. I think I did everything you could possibly yeah. do <laughs> as a as a child with ambitions to be like, look at me in Richmond. You well, I mean, and this isn't really bourgeois or whatever, but it was like you you really knew. It seemed like early on that you what you I wanted did. to do, like way. God early. help me, I did. Yeah. I did. Which which in retrospect, uh, retrospect, I, I have I have good feelings and bad feelings about. Because I know my life has been narrowed because mm-hmm. of that, but I also think 
knowing me, I would have gotten in a hell of a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> had I had I not had that sort of thing, oh, I'm going to do this. You know, I, I know that about myself. So maybe that was a, a blessing. It was a, right. It, like you took that lesson very early on from the teacher. <laughs> it was like, this is an appropriate way to play. Right. And to act up, and it, and then the rest of the time I can focus. Right, that's right. Hey, Nala. Hey. That was a good teacher. Remember who that was? She was. Her name was Miss Ziegler. Yeah. Well, Ms. Where Ziegler. was she? Carrie. She was a Carrie. Yeah. 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 So you, you did like I remember seeing you in, like Christmas Carol or something like. Yeah. Theater. Yeah. You did theater four. You did children's. I I did a couple of a couple of Christmas carols. I did it. Uh, at the theater where I'm performing now, which used to be the Empire, mm-hmm. and now they've mm-hmm. renamed. What is um, it called now? It's called the November. The November. The theater. November. Sarah theater. and yeah. somebody. Yes, they gave them lots of money and they mm-hmm. renamed it. Um, She's bothering me. You can no, no, out. I'm so happy to see her. Um, so I did it. I did it there first, and then I did it at. Um, uh, uh, Virginia Museum Theater, which then became Theater Virginia, yeah. a couple of years. That's where um, I remember seeing it. Yeah. And were you in She Stoops to Conquer there? Do you remember that? No, I was in some other stuff. I was in like My Fair Lady and some other shows like that. You know, I was in the musicals. So all through high school, where did you go to high school? I went to Community. Did I went you? to Richmond Community. Yeah. Which was in multiple buildings, and now I don't even know where it is. I don't either. It was in three different places. Like, we moved three different years when is I was there. Is it in Maggie Walker? It was in Maggie it Walker was. for the last two years when I was there. So, but then it was, it's, it was different places. And then it was places. sharing a building with uh, Open. Was it? I seem to remember that. How interesting. At one point, I think they shared that Grace Arendt's thing on Oregon Hill. And wow. I think, and I haven't thought about that in a long time. What was the difference between community and open? Community was was supposed to be um, a, a sort of a purely academics based, um, like a like a public a public school, but with a prep school agenda. Mm-hmm. Which means prepping you for college. Yeah, right? yeah, but it didn't really have. Um, um, it didn't really have an arts program. It didn't really have humanities program. It was rigid sort of academics, which, mm-hmm. which was good. I felt like I got a really good, solid high school education. Um, but like all of the stuff where, you know, you could go and be on teams and, mm-hmm. and play sports, sports and, and do drama in high school. There's none of that at none my school. So, Did you take high school I mean, did you go to like um, VCU and stuff like that, or did you travel around the different high schools? That's the open we got, high thing. Yes, but yeah. community also. I took some classes at VCU when mm-hmm. I was when I was there. I took a history class, and I took a psych class, and I took an Italian. So how did you keep classes. doing the theater stuff? I did outside of school. Yeah. I did outside of school. That was what I did. And what was? I mean, you you get into this so early. Like, did you have influences? at that point or did you have people you looked up to or were they yeah i mean there were a lot of people here in the the sort of professional theater world here in richmond that Mm -hmm. i that i looked up to enormously and working at um theater of virginia uh where most of the actors they brought in were from new york Mm -hmm. when when you when they would cast some people locally and i got to be in the cast that was very exciting for me Mm because i sort of you know got to know those people look up to them and 
like you do mm-hmm. when you're a kid. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely. There's there was and is a really great um, theater community here in uh, here in Richmond, but I think also has only grown, mm-hmm. which is nice. Which yeah, is I've really managed nice. to rub elbows with it over the last Have year. You? Yeah, good. I had a girlfriend um, last year that was working with Carol Pearsall uh-huh. on her stuff. Yeah, yeah, at Firehouse or somewhere yeah. else. No, she, you know she's not. A, you ever heard the whole? I did. Yeah. I did. No, it was, this has been like. This is post. Okay. Yeah, whatever. She, well, she calls it Fifth Wall now, but pre that. So she and Billy Christopher uh, Mopin, you, mm-hmm. you know him. Uh-huh. Or, um, the two of them started a company called Fifth Wall, and they. I think they started it last summer. But prior to that, they did a production of Ben Rimmelauer's Patty Issues. Yes, yes. And my girlfriend worked on that. Okay. She did like lights and music and stuff uh-huh. like that, and then they did. Um, what is it? Um, God, I forget what it's called. Oh, Liebenstrom at uh, Jewish Community Center. Okay. So, like, I they did that, and there's a couple of other things. So I started meeting these various actors. I went to see uh, a thing the, um, at the Sarah at the November Theater and the small theater. I yeah. saw a production yeah. of Race that she directed oh, yeah. with Joe Insko and Billy Christopher and. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. And Katrina. Do you know who Katrina? Um, damn, I remember these people's last names. But mm, yeah, I got okay. I got sort of ancillarily drawn into it. I saw like yeah, you did. Wow. Last year. Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry I missed the uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch production they did. Seems here. right up your alley. That's right. Yeah, it's the rock and roll. That's thing. right. And glam. The movie's great. You ever <laughs> have you seen the? My friend Miriam that? is is in yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Are they doing that on Broadway or? No, or off. I don't. I don't know if it's closed or not. I don't, they, they've they've it done it. it. It might have closed, or it might still be open. I don't know. Because I saw it originally, um, and it was it was wonderful. Um, but they did it off Broadway in this in the Barrow Street Theater in New York, which is like this little sort of like dank basement. Interesting. And That's when they, they did it here, when the they basement. would do, yeah, I mean like dank. I mean, and they had stuff ratcheted up. I literally watched the show like like I felt deafened by the end but you you got the whole full-on experience i remember sitting in people's lab and spitting in people and you know <laughs> yeah that's how they yeah i i, I that's imagine how it should it be inspired. that's how it's supposed to be done yeah you know imagine that production inspired the one that was done here i heard like don't sit in the front row no sure sit in the front row yeah getting involved yes yeah it's a i have become really appreciative of the theater thing here and that really wasn't like my my thing I guess. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I read plays in college. I was an English major. I, I liked it, but I, I was, I never really went to, I was so much more into like music and stuff. So it's yeah. kind of like a second act, third act, continue to. That's good. For me to That's get good. Into it now, you know, and it's, I mean, it really is amazing that you have one person up there like that Patty issues thing who carries the whole thing. Like, yep. you know, for an hour plus, yeah. you know, yeah. he's singing and, well, that's a lot of stuff to remember. Have you done one woman shows before? Um, I've done like one woman like concerts and, mm-hmm. and cabaret stuff. The closest I've come to a to a, a one woman show was really a three person show where I was on stage the whole time. Um, but yeah, one person shows there. You know, you gotta eat your wheaties. Yeah, you gotta eat your wheaties, and you have to 
for me, I have to stop drinking two hours before the show so I don't have to go pee in the middle uh, of the show. Yeah. It'd be a serious concern. <laughs> too, too, too graphic <laughs> for you? Too. No, no, that's great. That's good stuff. That's the meat There you go. There you go. It's very strange for me sitting here because I haven't, like, you and I haven't seen each other since I know. middle school. I know. I right? know. I know. I know. Do you know, I told Liza And here we this. are. We're middle-aged. Good for us. Are we middle-aged? We survived. Maybe people will live to 150, <laughs> and we can say that we're... I think we're middle-aged. Middle I think we're middle-aged. But we're aging well. We are. We both look fabulous. We're aging I'm, well. I'm happy for us. We're holding up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> but do you... I told Liza this. I don't know if you remember this. The first girl I ever kissed anywhere near on the mouth was you when we were playing Truth or Dare. When did we do that? This was... <laughs> Yeah. Flash it back to me. You sound horrifying. No, no. When did it when did we do that? On the, I can't believe I remember this vividly. Was it exciting for you? We had a big crush on you in <laughs> middle school. You were like the first girl I liked. Um, then you abused me on the bus, and then it was just. You know how the kids do. That you're you always are like obnoxious to the girl you like. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Um, we were behind Bellevue. You remember they used to have that wooden playground thing on the hill Do they and, still have that no they tore that thing down it was i seriously... haven't walked around there is there anything behind that anymore? flowers just flowers you don't play down there like we did yeah like you know there used to be that ridiculous chain with a tire on it that you yes on. and we didn't swing on that like you're supposed to where you sit on the tire i don't even remember this but you, somebody got the idea that you grab the tire in one hand and you run and sort of an ellipse that's out right the tree and that's swing out over the right yep come back Yep. We found a dangerous way to play with everything. Staples broke his arm doing that. Oh, my he, God. You know. But they let that go on even after he broke his arm forever. That was a complete death trap back there. Like those le those levels of yes. like wooden. I remember that. I remember the level, gravel. the stairs. Yep. It's crazy. Oh so my we God. were sitting up there. It was like you and me and like the Richard and Tom Lewis. I don't know if you remember those. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were sort of. I think they were on a timeshare with their parents, so they That's were, right. They came to the neighborhood on occasion. Mm -hmm. you know, it got increasingly more seventies like metal, um, kind of redneck <laughs> as it went along, like cut off gun jacket and, <sighs> and Cressida, and like Mac Marshall. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody like that. Yeah. yeah. We were playing truth or dare, and so the dare was to kiss, you know, for like thirty seconds. What I remember is I totally missed. So, like, I was kissing you right below your mouth, and you couldn't stifle the laugh, so you just, like, started laughing, and you just, like, spit all over my face. I'm so glad <laughs> that's kiss. a that's an important that first a... kiss memory, yeah. where I spit on you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Kind of set the stage. I'm so sorry. I feel like this podcast is going to be me apologizing to you over and that's over why again. That's I you here, actually. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just sorry for these everything. Are, these are the memories. I, this is what I remember. And I remember you just, I, I remember you being way ahead of the, everybody else, you know. Me sort of, being yeah, way like, ahead? Yeah. With In this, what way? With, all like, this, with the theater crap? Yeah, like everybody else is just messing up, you know, just a kid, like, Interesting. you know, shoplifting, cutting school, all that <laughs> delinquent stuff, which you probably admittedly would have gotten into <laughs> if you hadn't right. had your time. That's right. That's right. That's you weren't right. there with us getting drunk at Elliot's house when we were like 15? No, no, because I was probably off at some freaking rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Behaving yourself. That's right, that's right. So did, what's that? what was that world like for you as a teenager like coming up? I mean, we were over there like smoking pot and drinking in Elliot's 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I actually said to a friend of mine when I turned 40, I said, I was so, I was so good. I was so good in my, my youth. Um, I think not only because I did with the, with the theater stuff, but also I I felt like for whatever reason I wanted to make my, it was important to make my parents proud of me Mm -hmm. because they both came from sort of difficult backgrounds themselves. Um, and I knew how hard they had worked for both me and Eliza, that somehow that was sort of important to me. And I was really good. I was really good in school. Mm-hmm. I was as straight as you get. Yeah. But because of that, I mean, like I was the girl in high school, like walking people off bad trips, never right. doing anything myself, mm-hmm. as like crystalline, pure as it. And now I'm like, it's oh shit. I should have done all that stuff. Maybe. I should have had more random sex. Mm-hmm. I should have done more drugs. I should have had more banana pants, crazy nights. <laughs> and I <laughs> was locked in like... a theater doing eight shows a week, you know. Yeah. P- Pittsburgh. And now it's all too late. To it's college, all right? too late. No, it's not. <laughs> it's no. all too People late. All the... No, you're, you're young yet. You, you look great. You uh, can do whatever you want. Mm. You already got the career. You can just take a little. But see, now I'd be too afraid. Now I'd be too afraid what to. What you afraid? I don't know. I was talking with my parents um, last night. Actually, I taught my parents to play Cards for Humanity. I never played last night. Oh, it's the, it's the. It's the thing. Get with the zeitgeist. Come on, it's the. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I don't know. Join the club. Mm-hmm. Join the club. Um, it's this game that was started on Kickstarter. That's just sort of like, you know, they call it a game for horrible people. And just putting, you know, combinations of words together. Um, so it's funny, but but one of them sort of was asking a question about drugs. And I just out of the blue, I, I asked my parents, I said, what drug have you not done that you would like to do? Because my parents never yeah. done anything except smoke pot, you know, once a moment. And my father was like, ecstasy. Really? And I was like, had no hesitation. Seventy-three-year-old father. <laughs> really, really, Dad. He was like, Yes, that sounds. That's always sounded interesting. <laughs> you know, like trying, suddenly trying to learn, like, how does my father know about ecstasy? How does it, you know? Did you uh, do any stuff like that? No, not, I'm no, saying not I did nothing. All. Nothing. Nothing. Well, I nothing. did enough for both of us. So if did a lot of drinking. Did a lot of drinking. Did that. Did that. Um, nothing. Nothing where I had to shoot up or sniff or. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because I I had to it's sort good. of have it together to do the show the next. Yeah, I really appreciate that now. Like and, and like I I kind of wish I'd had some clue like what is you had a, that's a very mature perspective to have on your parents. You know that my mom and dad have worked so hard. I didn't come anywhere near that till I was like twenty. Really? Yeah, and I actually was stoned on my birthday, <laughs> and. My dad, I had just turned 20, and my dad gave me a book for my birthday, and he'd inscribed in it very touchingly that uh, to Kurt on his 20th birthday, he was not living ho- at home at this time. And, like, I moved out when I was 19, and he, and, like, I, oh, I wow. and, like, at the time, I was like, oh, you know, whatever. And then I had one mm. of those, I got stoned, and I got all, like, contemplative, yeah. contemplative yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. And he had just told the story about when they brought me home from the hospital that, like, you know, they, I was a little. I was were you born these, at MCV? Where were you born? I wasn't. I was born at um, St. Mary's. Oh, St. Mary's. Okay. 
But he had a Volkswagen bus, a 1967 Volkswagen uh-huh. bus with minimal heat. Like oh basically, my God. heat worked right about the time you got where you were going. It would warm up the car. Yeah, warm sure, up sure. And he was just talking about bringing me out. I mean, making these like kind of plaintive noises that I sounded indignant. And I just started thinking about all of this, <laughs> and I was like, wow, my parents weren't always the people who tell me what yeah. to do or you know yeah. or the authority. They were young people like me. Yeah. that were like. 25. Yeah. And they brought me Having home. you at 25. Yeah. I think my parents were like 27 mm-hmm. or something. And I'm like, the mm-hmm. idea of that. I'm really like, wow. I <laughs> The same way. I know. It's just, it's interesting. It's interesting how things have, but have shifted. Didn't, they didn't really push you to have that mentality about. No, they didn't. Way. It's very weird because both my, I have shy retiring type. Mm-hmm. Parents, for the most part, who like if you said get up and dance and sing on stage, they would run, yeah. they would run the other way. Um, but they had a hyper little girl. Mm-hmm. They hyper little girl. And I think they sort of realized that was going to be a, but they did that was going to be the outlet. on you that we've done so much for you. You have to go out here. Oh God, no! This was all no. self-directed. This was right? all. This is all my own impetus. I don't have a stage mother. I got none of that. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yeah. You didn't need it. You didn't need anybody to keep <laughs> Apparently an eye on you. not. <laughs> Apparently not. That's that's kind of cool though. It's an interesting thing to. I mean, I had no appreciation for shit like that. I had no value for stuff like that. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do for yeah. a really long time, and it was only until I like screwed up enough and and realized how limited your options are when you don't take that stuff seriously that mm. I started to turn the boat around and and say, well, I need to yeah pay attention to this stuff. Yeah, and take it seriously before. Yeah. It is too late, you know. So I really admired that you, you know, kind of had your shit together from a early age, you know. And it's obviously gone somewhere. I mean, has it? You know, has it gone somewhere? Well, your, your name's <laughs> up in bright lights in big city, you know. And like, I mean, that's that's a long shot for most people. Well, I mean, what it's lit, more than one in a million chance. I Lots guess, of people I guess do that so. Shit. I, I think I'm a little bit of a weirdo in that I've, I have actually managed to eke out a, a career on stage, mm-hmm. which is, which is sort of weird for, for an actress nowadays in, in the contemporary right, world, you know, people like have, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done some, some film stuff, but for the most part, I've done no TV and I've, I've really just done stage stuff and mm-hmm. I've, I've managed to sort of eke out an existence doing just that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's sort of sort of amazing it is yeah it, i mean from humble beginnings yes churchill usa yeah you know and yeah. it's a straight i mean not too many people these days like figure it out do it and have especially in the creative field have some kind of success like but i also mm-hmm. sort of feel like I, I mean i know that i definitely was one of those people who if i had had the other interests or other or uh, passions but i didn't yeah. I didn't. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My sister, on the other hand, is one of those people who is wildly good at many things. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wildly good at many things. This was the thing that I, I, but you I was good at. you sing and dance, right? Aren't yeah. Yeah. Things? Well, I guess. I guess. But I mean, all her stuff is under the same umbrella, right? Yeah, but to, a, to a degree. But she has different talents than, than I do. You guys are the, the, the masks. Wear the masks. You know? <laughs> That's interesting. You're the, the drama and the comedy, you know? 
<laughs> you guys are both sides uh, of that, you know, the two sides of the coin. I'm going to tell her you said that. Yeah. You know, what do you, you think she'd think of that? I don't know. Did you listen to the one I did? With I her? did. Yeah. I did. That's really, that was really interesting. I mean, I didn't know her at all, like, prior yeah. to becoming a... I don't think I knew her until we were adults. Yeah? Because I left. I left for college when, she was, when she... she was entering middle school, you know? It's yeah. like it took, we're, we're almost seven years, we're seven years apart, so it took a long time till we had anything in, in common, mm -hmm. really, the sort of common denominator. She was my pain in the ass little sister. Yeah. You know? But you have, you guys have a lot in common, I, I think. I mean, well, we, it would seem. We do, like we do now. We do now. You uh -huh. know? Um, now that we've spent time together, and, you know, I don't get this kind life of has like gone on. history out of what propelled her. I mean, she kind of told me where it began but not why it began well she I, I do remember Liza always Liza has always been Liza has always had a sort of very sharp um, acerbic wit mm -hmm. to her more so than anybody in my my family um, and and could always spin something into a, a sort of wonderful wry comedy mm-hmm um, that I think is sort of the most wonderful talent to have mm -hmm. as, as a person. If you can, if you can do that, yeah. <laughs> if you can find something funny and something awful, you know, and she can do that and she always has. Um, but she's also, in, I mean, I think it, uh, she'd probably agree. Um, you know, she grew up watching her sister get a lot of attention for, for singing and dancing and, mm -hmm. you know, shucking and jiving. Um, and I, I'm sure that probably influenced her in some way. That's the, that's the Churchill coming out. You said shocking and jiving. Shocking and jiving. There you go. <laughs> it's still in me. And so for you, like, I mean, what what creative stuff I've done has been, like, has what I was pulled to it by sort of a, I don't know, some amorphous, sometimes Don Quixote kind of a thing, a quixotic <laughs> desire, you know, to tilt at windmills, you know, because I want really? something to Really? That's in something. you? That's... Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I'm a... I'm, I'm not so much now, but that was a lot of me coming up to like 40. Was, Interesting. You know, kind of, I always had these fantasies that I overlaid over reality. You know, like I'm going to go to New York and it's going to be just like when the Beats were there, you know, or, you know, or, or like when Henry Miller was there, you mm -hmm. know, and like I'm going to go up there and I'm going to become a writer and mm -hmm. I'm just going to live in this apartment in the East Village. And I had no idea that. It's actually, you know, when I got there, everybody's, like, you know, skating and, like, I mean, they're all into shit that I had no, like, yeah. relationship with. And so I was, I always had some fantasy that I was going to go. And the cool thing is, is that the reality ends up informing the fantasy and the things. I can look back on that and yeah. say it was cool. Actually, what happened was what I was looking for. It just wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I went there, I went to California, I went to Paris. I was always kind of chasing some thing, not no nothing practical about it, nothing sustainable. What were, were they? Were they different things each time, or were they? It is in retrospect, it has very consistently been about music and and music's influence on the iconoclastic part of like, you know, constantly, you know. Very holding Caulfield, I guess, like constantly mm -hmm. smacking the phoniness out of yeah, things yeah. like yeah. what's real, you know, like or yeah. what's what's authentic or um, you know, not too dressed up, not too practiced, not too perfect, yeah, you know, 
Like, what's okay? So, what's the thing that people are doing for pure love of the game? Like the amateur thing, the things that are really like revolutionary or have a revolutionary spirit yeah. to them, um, as opposed to um, a product, you know, completely constructed yeah. to sell. Yeah. Something. You know, there's nothing wrong with making money doing what you're doing, but you know, there's a lot of music out there where somebody put all the pieces together, mm-hmm. assembled the whole thing because they knew. And here's the product. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a real aversion to that. I don't know where that started or where it came from, but it was just always there. Like, and it might have had to do with the culture shock of going from Churchill to Marymount, where I went to high school. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, because that's um, where I lost you. Yeah, and like yeah, we, that's we, where we all sort of went our disparate ways for yeah. real. Marymount was um, very small school, like 100 and 200 students, and there were 10 or 15 guys in it. And it was a completely different culture. Like, you know, all the stuff that I was used to from Henderson Middle School and <laughs> Churchill and, <laughs> and, and all of that was not there. I mean, there were some people out there, like Jennifer Knopf. I don't know if you remember her from that name um, Bellevue. She went to Bellevue and she okay. was there. It was a couple of people. Okay. Laura Coplin, um, uh, this Elizabeth Ferguson. Um, there were people who were like kind of, you know, hip. Okay. City kids, but yeah. overall it was like, real, you know, your typical prep school situation. More sort of West End, you know? sort of. Okay. Yeah. What we would, what we default to as West End, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, if it was in a broader context, it's like the rich kids, you know, the kids who have been brought up to be very conscious of what you wear, how much it costs, you know, how your hair is, yeah, like all that stuff that we didn't really. But get, you did they? You, know? you guys wear uniforms at Marymount? Yeah. Which seems very healthy. I, yeah. And that it takes all of that crap away. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. They're still in Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Did you just, do you have a polo pondor? <laughs> Jesus. On your shirt? Oh my God. It wasn't, you know, there it was, le- there was less about what the clothes, it was more about where are you from, who are your parents, what do they do, like yeah. all that shit. You yeah. Know? And I... I mean, my parent, my mother is like your mom is kind of from yeah that yep you know yep um and so I you know I had something of a some kind of weird pedigree with it so like yeah. you know I could say oh my mom's Farley and right you know, right all that but and I got sucked into playing along with that shit high end Richmond stock yeah you know the old the old money thing but it had no no context as I'd grown up it just became a thing that I put on. Or attempted to assimilate to in yeah. order to feel, yeah. you know. But yeah. then I met um, the Softies. And I don't know if you ever knew any of them, like George Softie at Henderson. No, or, no. But I met this guy, Jason, and his dad. His dad was um, uh, had been involved in bands and music and owned Bohannon's records and tapes on Grace Street. Oh, my and, gosh. Yes. And he was, I think he is where this started because he was like, fuck them. You know, fuck those people. They're, I mean, he literally said their shit stinks too, the same as yours. Don't let them tell you how to be, you know, don't worry about what they're wearing and you wearing what they're wearing. You know, like he just, all of this wisdom he imparted to me uh, as I rode in the back of his car, like from school to yeah. Jason's house. And, I, and he was like, you know, listen to this, the kinks, you know, or Roxy music or, so rock and roll at that point became this way that I differentiated myself like from the West End kids, huh. I guess, you know, because they were, it was really an, I've never been judged like that. Wow. Like, Hender, I mean, you know, we had the white black thing in Henderson and, you know, and black kids kind of affectionately, I think, were, 
you know, pointed out the differences between yeah, us. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it wasn't like, it wasn't hate or bullying too often, sometimes, yeah. occasionally. But overall, it was just kind of like, hey, we're like this, you're like that, like the way comedy kind of is. But in the West End, it was kind of like, you, we don't even really gonna need, have any need to talk to you. You're, I mean, I was like seriously kind of fucked with, like when I came in there. And uh, That's interesting, because I would think you know 15 boys and you know however many girls you would be be wildly popular instantly right but this is part of the class thing out there is that guys that went to marymount there must be something wrong with them why didn't they go to saint christopher's or collegiate or benedictine you know so we must we were we were nerds or and why didn't or fags you? as they tell me tell me why didn't you my parents just thought it was probably I don't know why they chose that. I think my because my mother went there. Oh well, there so you go. She was like, if it was good for there her. There you go. That's why. Okay. We're Catholic. We were. Okay. Maybe it was affordable. I don't know why. All those answers. All right. Kind of an interesting choice, though. Really, I don't think like my parents did not. Did I Lucy think, go there? Did Lucy yeah. go? There? Yeah. Yeah. I right. don't think they really put themselves in my shoes. Hmm. Whether it was growing up in this neighborhood, going to Belgium. When you came, when you were coming home at night, did you talk about it with your parents? Were they, did they know any of this? Did they get any of this from you? I think. And what was their response? What I think there? my mom picked up on it when I started wearing some other kid's clothes. There was this kid named Trip that went to uh, oh Marymount who was really wealthy and he had like all the gear, all the like polo stuff. And uh -huh. Staples and I had been kind of new wavy, you know, yeah. punkish. Yeah. And then, then Trip rolled in, and he just had all of this gear, and the girls like went crazy for it. And for me, that became my my punk thing was to dress as nice. I became like a fancy lad. And when my mom saw me come wearing somebody else's clothes, like my clothes weren't good enough, then I think she kind of, you know, pushed on my dad and was like, "You got to get him some some threads." Interesting. Some yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's what. I mean, I got, I, you know, it was fucking uh, constantly fish out of water stuff, you know, even though I didn't know any different. Did it ever get better? I mean, like by the time you were senior? No, I think did I it... sought it. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We became, I mean, we we changed the paradigm eventually at okay. Marymount, like Staples and Trip and Jason and me all, we're all dating Marymount girls, but this was not done too much previously. We were, and we got in the theater there, actually, uh, we did... Jason and I did Babes in Arms and um, like variety <laughs> show. We did scenes from The Odd Couple, like because there were only guys in the school. Uh, yeah, right, so, right. You know, that was my brief stint in the theater was high school dramatics. That was it. That was yeah. enough to satiate you. You were like, touch that. That was great. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know why I didn't do it again. I mean, I got laughs and everything, and like the I ironic thing was there was people there who actually had more training than us, but. You know, we, Jason and I worked well together, and I don't have any idea why I didn't keep doing that. I think I seriously was a burnout, you know, like, by, um, I was one of those kids. I was like the stoner kid, basically. I, it was more important to me to get fucked up than, you know, I just wanted that life. I wanted the, yeah. I think I wanted to just get skate by, you know, sort of be a rake, you know, like party, uh -huh. just get hooked up and stuff. Uh -huh. you know. But, that kind of came and went. Like, I went to college and got serious about being an English major and writing. And, and where did you go to college? I don't even know. And how was how was that program? It was actually really good. I mean, the weird thing is I just got my mother's um, English major books from the attic at my parents' house. Oh, my gosh. Because I wanted to fill out my 
library here, and they're all the same right. books. Right. That but I, they really. Yeah. Like Jesus. VCU's so English program at that time was was pretty just standard, you know, Western canon kind oh of stuff. My but God. there was a couple of teachers that had us reading good shit, you know, like stuff more like uh, Paul Auster and. Um, I love Paul Auster. I can't, you know, we had, there's a couple of professors. There's like Brian Mangum and Richard Fine and, and Walter Coppage. Those guys were like kind of, Walter Coppage was kind of like the the dude who really kind of blew your mind with with literature and film and stuff. Like kind of took it out of that stayed, you know, stale context of a book and like helped you realize that it's connected to all of these mm-hmm. archetypes and mythology. And he was like the Joseph Campbell of, <laughs> of BCU, you know. <laughs> I'm glad that because you had a Joseph Campbell. It did. So it was a great, I mean, I had a great, I got a great education and I took everything they offered pretty much. Like That's I took great. every literature course they had. I took creative writing. I, you know, I got the most out of it. I got bad grades, but I, I got a lot. I got a good education. That's, but that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You were fun. What about you? We've been talking about me for a while now. What did you do in high school? I mean, college. I went to, uh, I went to school in Pittsburgh. I went to Carnegie Mellon. Because they had a, a, a pretty terrific um, theater program it's there. It's kind of renowned, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, interestingly, um, it, it really was more of a, I got you know, I got a BFA. It really was not so much of a liberal arts education, more of a conservatory mm-hmm. training. I think I took exactly two classes outside of my department the entire mm-hmm. time I was there. And what is conservatory like? Like, you're just constantly doing voice stuff and well we just we were just you know in in class or working crew or, or rehearsing shows just all the time just constantly 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 it was sort of an onslaught of, of theater 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 mm-hmm. um, which left sort of no time for for anything else um, they used to now this is this is interesting at least I think it is uh, when I when I got there, I didn't realize this, and I think had anybody told me this before I went there, I wouldn't have gone there because it would have scared the shit out of me too much. I got there and I discovered that they cut people after every semester. Oh wow! Based on, based on whatever, based on the the, the how you were. The cut of your jib. The cut of your jib, basically, and what they what they used to say is they they would say you know after a certain certain amount of time we don't believe you have professional potential mm. which is you know in retrospect when you're 18 19 years old and some person some voice of authority yeah. says that to Slamming you the door when you, you know mm-hmm. how how crushing is that mm-hmm. you know they didn't say that to you though they didn't say that to me but i i had a number of people that i was close to um, that they said that to mm-hmm. That they said that to, and some of them, uh, some of them took that to heart and were like, "No, I'm taking a radical life change. I'm not doing this." And some of them were like, "Fuck you," and went to another school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but it's interesting because they, I guess, at some point they they got enough crap for that um, that they they stopped that. Um, the the uh, the year that I entered, they they accepted forty people and they graduated fourteen. Wow. Yeah. Um, so your class is whittled down to fourteen people by the, the time you're. The, the class was whittled and whittled and whittled. Now that said, some people left of their own 
accord because they just the program was not for them or it was too hard or it was too this or too that or whatever. Um, Ethan Hawke was in my class and he left because he got Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they don't do that now. And I went back to that school um, a couple of years ago, so you and Ethan it's. Hawk, huh? Talk about your Holden Caulfield. Talk about your Holden Caulfield. He actually used to walk around with a copy of... Of Catching the Rhyme. Yes, mm, yes. A little prop. You uh, betcha. Ask me about... You betcha. <laughs> ask me about Salinger, honey. <laughs> ask <Yeah>. me right. <laughs> <laughs> um, they... Uh, yeah, they used to they used to come people, but they don't anymore. And so now they graduate classes of, of forty people, and um, a lot of them have gone through that program, and it's a very good program. Um, but they've gotten themselves into debt going to that school, and they get out and they don't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's that catch twenty two of is it good? Is it good that you tell somebody? No, this is. We don't think this is going to happen for you. Yeah. We don't think that you have professional potential. Is that a kind thing to do ultimately, or is it not? It's a damn good question. It, it's such a like. Because I, I mean, whether it's school or professional stuff or whatever, I don't like it when somebody's kind of like it's you or him. But it really lights a fire under my ass. Does it? You know, and I mean, it makes me. I mean, nobody's ever said that in so many words. Yeah. But like, you know, to kind. of healthy competition the idea that you're not going to just skate yeah on your yeah you know whatever and i was thinking about this today like why are schools like that is it about their reputation it, are they really trying to help the student you know are that's they, a good question like, that's a good question because i had a i had a uh, professor that i took twice the first time i really like hated him because he made us he was a um like i think i took um modern novel from him and when I picked that, I had a different definition of modern than uh, than than, than his definition. Out it actually means modern ah. is like you know industrial era. Yeah. So it's like versus contemporary. Lawrence, sure. Right? Um, so you know, I got in there reading like Maul Flanders and, and, and you were and like, wait, Women what? In Love and all of that. And uh, I don't know if I <laughs> retained <laughs> Evelina and Fanny Burney and all of these stuff books, but. But he would like you had a he gave you a sign you're reading and then you had a quiz and these quizzes were a 30 year grade or 50 percent of your grade mm-hmm. and they had 10 questions on them you know so you can only get three of them wrong and you failed it Jesus you know? so you had to do that damn reading you really had to do that reading yeah and and yeah. I was like oh, God damn this sucks because <laughs> I was you know coming into that college thing where it was like I wanted to party and you know meet girls and stay up all night and not really study. And all of that, but after the, I think I got to be in that class because I, yeah. I did try really hard, and then I ended up taking him again because I liked being and I mean, taking like, the same class again, no, or same, taking him taking in a different, him for a different okay thing. I something I don't remember what the what it was, but um, but I liked that discipline, huh. you know. So yeah. it's kind of weird. I think people do need to be told somewhat. I mean, we got where we are as an organism, yeah, because na- nature said yeah. you or no or not you, yeah, you know. And I think that the Ayn Randians think that should be everything, yeah. You know? But we also got to where we are, where we're like, you no longer are. It is not just a matter of survival. We have now 
because we evolved to be such smart tool makers that we can keep people alive who would otherwise have died, you know, mm-hmm. and they can contribute like Stephen Hawking would have been fucked, you know, but now we can like keep a dude alive to contribute to the human race who can't even literally can't wipe his own ass, you yeah. know, like yeah. can't eat, can't feed himself, yeah. you know, so there's, you know, I think there has to be a balance. I mean, I do think people need to have a little fear to drive them. Yeah. And I think they need there has to be constructive coaching, and I think there has to be like, hey, maybe this ain't for you, yeah. So that you do find the thing that is for you. I find fear a fantastic motivator mm-hmm. for me. If the, if the fear is doesn't cripple you, if you can find a way for fear not to to anesthetize you mm-hmm. into the point of you know immobilize immobility, mm-hmm. um, I think fear is a really good really good driving force. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about the stuff that I've um, that I've been the most proudest of in my life was because I had to work very hard because I was filled with fear, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is weird to acknowledge in yourself. But yeah, and you know, my sense of like what that. you were in is like from fame. You know, like watching that TV show. I love that. And I and I remember them saying something like, "Look at the people to your left, people to your right. right. That's Someone right. Not going to be here. Yes. Might be you." And they were you right. That's right. And it seemed to me, and I don't think I, I definitely wasn't driven like this. I avoided that shit at all costs. Yeah. I, I mean, I avoided the feeling of competition and fear and failure and all of that stuff completely. Like yeah. I, I didn't want anything to feel like that. I didn't want stress. I didn't want that stuff. I, I only really came to appreciate it like in the last decade. Really, you, know? <laughs> really, you appreciate stress now? Can you teach me how to appreciate well, stress? Don't get me wrong. I don't like it. And there's a breaking point with it, you know? Yes. Like there's like, you know, you could be coasting and somebody comes along and they're like, hey, you know, I think you can do better. Right. In so many words, you know, your numbers aren't good or mm-hmm. you're whatever. And you go, shit, I might get fired or I might, you know, they might find somebody else. And then yeah, that's good. But there is a point if it's like consuming you. I mean, I've walked away from stuff that the stress is consuming me. You know, yeah. I'm dreaming about it, and I'm like, life's too short for yeah. this to completely occupy my head. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I think with everybody, you got to like pay attention to yourself. Like, if you're going around with your heart like locked up in a vice all the time, you have to notice that that that's not the norm, and say there is an alternative to that. Maybe I shouldn't be like this. All yeah. the time, I should find something else to do. Yeah. But I mean, America's a weird country. I mean, we we tell ourselves that you know you don't matter unless you're at the top of the heap. There's no, you know. Hmm. I mean, that's a strong message. Winners, you know. It's that's about right. Winning. That's right. Whereas in the that's theater, right. there is this balance, right? I, I use this line a lot. There are no small roles, only small actors. Yes. Yeah. You know? That's right. And you can't do the whole play without all the... That's true. You know. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Well. So, it, but it, you you did, I mean, you have won many times. I, I have won? <laughs> I mean, you were in the 14. <laughs> I you have know? won. <laughs> you have been in that, that finite or that small group up at the top of the pyramid. And, you uh, know. I guess, I guess. Um... Yeah, it is interesting though. I will say because of that, because of the getting there and realizing, oh, they're gonna, they are going to whittle the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so driven by fear 
through that experience that I don't know that I I was so I was so busy making sure I wasn't going to be cut that I don't know that I um I don't know that I that I got everything out of that program that I that mm -hmm. I should have because mm -hmm. I think I, I teach a little bit in New York myself mm -hmm. and I I feel like in a classroom situation in teaching young performers the best thing you can do is give them a place to take risks and mm -hmm. and fail and fuck up and it's mm -hmm. all okay mm -hmm. where I, I didn't feel like that necessarily yeah. at, at, at my school yeah um i felt like if i if i ever fucked up or failed it was mm -hmm. you know failure is not an option yeah yeah um because you don't grow you don't you don't learn until you've you don't really learn right organically mm -hmm. and, and until you've you've messed up and, and mm -hmm. recovered and, and really fixed and why. learned yeah then really know the why i mean there's i, I was reading something the other day and i i this is an, an important thing to me is i've intellectually known a lot of things but like that idea of really it changing you getting yeah. in your bones i call that gnostic knowledge as opposed I to i think you're right you know, i think that is gnostic knowledge yeah. you know it's it's experiential you it's really it's like learning to ride a bicycle. Like yeah. you can talk about that all you want. Oh, here's what you do: you hold the handlebars, you sit on the seat, you pedal, you know, and it's cool. Yeah. You do it. Yeah. Right. But that's never going to get you riding a bicycle. You have. That's the oldest metaphor in the world, too. Like you have to keep getting on the bicycle until. Yeah. It's incredibly. Uh, until it doesn't become an intellectual activity, it becomes a. It's an instinctual mm -hmm. part of you. Yeah. But do you think? I mean. I was unable to listen to any authority figure tell me anything about any of that stuff. Like I learned everything the hard way, you know. I did. I tried what I wanted to do for a long time, and it is just now, like in the last. Huh. I mean, I've accidentally like. Kind so of, because of because you were so busy, sort of finding, uh, or finding, avoiding. avoiding, or I would say I was avoiding more than I was finding. Interesting. I, you know, that's interesting. There was a quest. But that quest was really to find, to avoid a thing. I was trying to find a way to yeah. avoid. Oh, mother. Well, I can just splice it. Um, <laughs> it never does that. It just shut itself off because it, um, the thing timed out. Anyway, um, I, I was, my goals were really dictated by avoiding stress like I thought my dad had lived. Like it looked to me like all my dad did was work. You know, where the other dads in the neighborhood were down at the park throwing the frisbee, drinking beer on the porch. Mm. My dad, with every free moment, was doing something like working on the house. I mean, yeah. he'd come home from work and get up a chimney. Yeah. You know. Well, or, as was as was my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I was like that, and then there was Dennison, you know, the McDonald's yeah. dad, and he yeah. was like, you know, super charismatic, life of the party, always doing fun so stuff. So fun, yeah. On a, you know, running a marathon, riding his bike to Florida, you know, just all this shit. And it's like, I don't, I don't want this thing my, I didn't think I wanted the thing my dad had, you know. Of course, I have now since figured out that my dad was an awesome dad. Yeah. Like, I, you know, people kill to have dads like that, you know, that were all, he was always there. He put us first. He put the house first. He put all of that stuff he was working for, investing in mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. and he's been able to kick it since he was like 55. That's and, fantastic! You know, wow. Tired. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I didn't have a goal like that. I really didn't want to feel like that. I really didn't want to feel that stress and fear thing. 
Hmm. You know, and I don't. I think because I felt an unhealthy version of it a lot in this neighborhood as a kid. Hmm. You know, like this was first day of school is scary as shit at Bowler. You know, up here doesn't. It's not open anymore. It's behind the Roosevelt. Now it's an old folks home, but that's where Bellevue was that year. My mom walked me there. Oh, I didn't know it was ever. No- oh my Bellevue gosh. Bellevue had burnt the previous year, so they were fixing it. So when I started kindergarten, they had us in Bowler. Well, we were in the same grade, so maybe that's why I didn't. Maybe they mm-hmm. took a smaller group of, of kids. They may something. have. I have to go and ask my mother about this. Thing, or maybe your maybe your parents yeah. didn't want you to go. I gotta there. I gotta uh, I gotta yeah. find out about this. It's gonna haunt me. That would be. I I do want to know that too. But uh, I mean, it's you know like that that goal to like do something that felt good all the time yeah. that's what i wanted i wanted to do things that felt yeah good and i learned all that's all this stuff the hard way that you can't just pursue pleasure your whole life you know because actually you can't no because if you do this that is it's a depressing conversation no it's not pleasure you know it's all about contrast right so that's true you gotta have a balance that's true you know if you're if you're just i mean there's too much drinking and too much partying and then that's all you do people Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. But what is pleasure? What is pleasure? Pleasure can be, you know, different stuff for different people. I know when I work my fucking ass off mm-hmm. and I feel like I've I've done something I didn't think I could do, I went past where I thought I could go, that gives me immense pleasure. Yeah. Immense pleasure. Well, you got on that. You, you, you learned that early, you know, and you learned that on your own early, I think, that you wanted that feeling you don't think so you i don't know i don't know i don't know if i learned that early on you must have i mean there must have been a lot of i don't know if i learned that early on because on stage i and... well but i i will say this always came relatively easy mm-hmm. to me so i don't know that i really had to sort of work oh, hard yeah. hard in the in the way we would actually define hard until sort of really i got to i got to new york yeah because you you were a big fish in a small pond in Richmond. You were more talented than the other. Well, you know, I was a I was a kid and I mm-hmm. was a, a teenager and I was I was you know doing stuff and mm-hmm. I was I was cute and I could sing and I could mm-hmm. dance and I, you know I don't know that I was anything exceptional but I was I had a drive mm-hmm. to me so. And it was just all working out. Because hmm, I was going to ask you. I mean, did you do like? Okay, so this is where I was trying to get with this, is that I have pursued creative stuff totally romantically, like, in this, like, fever dream of, like, I'm just, God, I just, I want to play guitar at this point, you know, in my life. I just decide that I've got to be involved in it, and I'm not going to learn it from anybody. I'm just going to, like, get into it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've just, just dove into things like that, just immersed myself, and... It's all totally like the only way I want to do stuff like that is trial and error, you know. Like, yeah. I, I don't have the patience or something for the instruction. Yeah. Part of it, you know. Yeah. Did you was there is you being basically like taught all along? You, this has been an a, an education for you. You've been comfortable with being taught. Was there ever a period where you were just like, I want to experiment. I want to like just you know go out on my own and like you know. Drop out of the thing, the prescribed thing, and uh, go do some crazy, you know, show like in, in some weird neighborhood with some bizarre people, and you know, or has it been a pretty like mm, mainstream? Well, like I have friends in New York who do. 
I, I make my living doing commercial theater mm -hmm. for the most part, you know. Um, but I have friends in, 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 you know, the downtown mm -hmm. scene who do more sort of, you know, avant-garde stuff and, and, and interesting stuff. And I, and I have a great appreciation for that. And I, you know, I, sometimes I go to that stuff and I go, boy, I wish I could be a part of this. Because I, you know, they're, they're doing that being, this is going to sound like an odd thing. I don't consider myself an artist. I think what I do, I do artfully, mm -hmm. but I don't think I am an artist. Artisan? Per se. You've learned the craft? No, I don't. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. There's there's a craft to what right. I do, and it's a, it's a, it, there's a, a technical skill right. to it that, mm -hmm. you know, is it Malcolm Gladwell who says, you know, 10,000 10, hours, hours right. in a, and I have, boy, I've done my 10,000 hours. I've mm -hmm. passed my, you know. Way past that. Way past 10, that. 10,000 like Right, 16. that's right. I think I've spent... I think I've spent a fourth of my life either in rehearsal or getting ready to go on stage or on stage. Literally, mm -hmm. literally. You don't it's think that's a big that, chunk. You don't think that it would be almost like I mean there are all of these different artists who've learned or musicians or whatever you want to like creative people who have learned it like that. Yeah. Right. Who at some point say I'm gonna I want to forget everything I know and try some other shit. You know. Like, I'm going to start all, you know, like, I mean, are you in a secure enough place or is it like, would it be fucking with the brand, you know, to try something else? You that's, know? A, that's a really good question. I don't know that it would be. Um, I think maybe when I was in my 30s, I might have had some thoughts about establish a brand, don't fuck with a brand. Now, um, really all I ever think about is what's the next interesting thing? Mm -hmm. What's going to, what's going to, what's going to be the next thing that is, that challenges me in a way that the last thing didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where I go for, for, for roles and mm -hmm. for, for this and for that. I mean, know? that is, I know what you mean that like, I, I don't consider myself a musician, but I play guitar mm -hmm. and I have played music a lot and i haven't learned it as a, as a craft but it is it is also not a thing that i define myself by it's yeah. a, i guess it's a hobby yeah you know um but but it's i mean i this sounds when when actors talk about themselves as artists i i sometimes have a a hard time because i think mm, well I, it's a what you do is a, is a talent but it's a knack Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's well, what you so do is... in that. Saying that you're an artist when you're an actor, you didn't write the play. You right. didn't write the music. You are being a vessel to make that make that come alive. Mm -hmm. But but uh -huh. you did not create the the piece. Well, you, know, you know, and what this I mean? is a thing that people have argued like transubstantiation, you know, yeah. and, and stuff. The Council of Nicaea. What is art? Right. You know. Sure. I mean, sure. to me, it is however in the hell that you push the envelope now, and however you get at that thing outside of what is sort of like the way that we are conditioned. Yeah. You know. So then, if art is conditioning, yeah. then it can get away from what um, I think art is. But there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know? No. It's just not that, at all. It's, it's a wide umbrella. Yes. Like, that, that the stuff that was pushing the envelope can become the familiar thing, which is the, more the territory where you work, like doing Maine, yeah, right? Right. So, 
whereas there are people who want to do something like you know billy christopher doing you know patty issues where it's him talking about you know he's got an obsession with patty lupone and it's also connected to his issues with his father right and it's really you know risky adventurous stuff and right and and that will be a norm at some point you know but like the the whole human thing is like we we take stuff that we've gotten really comfortable with I think like hitting a thing with a rock and then we at some point we stick a stick on it you know and we have a better tool and I think that playing that playing at being other people and exploring the various sort of situations there it's real and it's not real it's like um, you inhabit that you put it out there for other people to have a visceral relationship with. And that allows people to get out, get you know, put the stick on the rock of their own experience. I think that's very true. Life, you know? I think that's very true. Uh, you know, I'm. So that's art, and, and where art and th- like we could spend you know hours on this. But my my opinion is is that they're not such different things. No, I don't think I don't think right? so. Being an artisan so. and an artist, it's there. It's always craft, but there's like. People who learn it like totally as an apprenticeship and you you follow what your master says and you you perfect this thing Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's a step-by-step process for you and you you just stick with that that's great you know I shouldn't even said just you stick with that and that is a way to do art you know and it's a very functional you know yeah way I've always been drawn to the way where you go let's just destroy everything that we think we know and then see, do something, yeah. you know, like as much as I don't like stress, I like the, the discomfort zone of um, the unknown because that I've like brings stuff out, hmm. you know, the human condition. It gets at that mythological stuff, the subconscious, the unconscious, the stuff humans know, but they don't know mm-hmm. that they know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I think you do, you know, even like, I mean, the, you are being an artist when you get up there and you inhabit a role, even though you didn't write it. No one else could do it like you, you know. Well, I think what I think what I mean by that more is that I, in regard to performance, in regard to acting, I think I'm more of the Spencer Tracy mm-hmm. school of acting, which is learn your lines, hit your marks, do it with as much integrity as possible, and then go home and have a margarita. Right. I, I don't I don't sort of um, go, now I'm doing a magical thing. Right. And right. now I'm turning into this yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, you seem really level-headed. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Because it seems to me that people I've met that have that do this in general can be really dramatic and, and kind of all over the place and, and, and not rooted, you know. And, I mean, maybe it's because you've been doing this. I think it's probably because I've been been doing this a long time, and I I don't know I don't know if you could could do this for for a long time and not be fairly earthbound. Mm-hmm. Well, people do, and they get all fucked up, <laughs> and they have pills and <laughs> booze and all of that. But it seems like you managed to have an identity that you consistently created, and you know who you are, and you play this, and then you're Emily Skinner. You know, and a lot of people I think get fucked with by playing these different roles. They don't know who they are. Well, you know? it's interesting. I sort of always think whenever I'm playing a role, it's it's more that I'm me in different situations. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're playing Mame, you're me playing Mame is me. Playing Mame. If yeah. I were a somebody's eccentric aunt, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. I'm not. And now I'm turning myself into, you right. know, 
But I mean, what I know about that's like, you know, that's a method that sure. people approach it with. Sure, sure. You, you know, that's a way to, to be authentic in their role is say that yeah. it, it is me, you know. But it's an aspect of me, yes. and it is also you. So you can identify yes, with yeah. it, and so can the audience. Yeah. You know, that's why we're there to see some aspect of ourselves. I mean, that's the whole dance. You with the, betcha. The theater, to, since there's been theater. You betcha. Right? Because, I mean, we sort of tend to think of it as entertainment, but it was something much more a bigger deal to the Greeks. Oh gosh, I think, I think it's. Know? I think it's. It's. But you know. A place for people to feel feelings where mm -hmm. it's safe. Mm -hmm. You know, you go in a dark, a, a dark theater, and you have an experience with a bunch of people, and you're all watching the same thing, and you have mm -hmm. a catharsis. And, mm -hmm. Yes. You know, the catharsis. I, I really do sort of feel like that's, that's why I continue to. But it ain't a to like do the this. way you do a movie. You know? You're there, you're actually there, and you're pretending yeah. like you don't know those people are out there, and they're pretending like you know there's this this sort of collusion between the um, actors and the audience that were ignoring each other, but were acutely aware of yes. each other. Yes. And it's really weird to me to play my role in that when I go sit in an audience and those people are right in front of me and they, I know they can see me. Right. You know, and I'm used to that voyeuristic thing of right. watching a movie or TV where I could be naked. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, I could be doing yeah. anything. Yeah. They can't see me, but it's, you know, and so, how does that make you feel? How does it made that... me feel really uncomfortable initially, I have to hmm. say. Like, one of the only plays... But is there a heightened sense of paying attention to it when, yes. the, when there's real people standing in front of you? Yeah, I mean, at first it feels like a responsibility. Like, I feel put on the spot, very codependent with the uh, <laughs> people on the stage. Okay. I'm concerned for them. You know? Right. <laughs> but in the concern for them, hey, maybe a piece of scenery could fall down. Maybe something, there's a, there's an More element like of... they could embarrass themselves. Sure. Embarrass for them. That's and... right. There's there's that element underneath things as well that so sort I of can make tension, things a little more, right. you know. The, that tension between the audience and the... That's right. And that, I mean, and that exists in li like playing in music, you know. There's yeah. people who've had to come see me and be embarrassed for me when I played a rock show and... I've been in that position once. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I got <laughs> okay. out there. I did not have any of what you had when I got on stage <laughs> to play guitar. I was just like, I've seen other people do this with the amount of training that I have, and they pulled it off. And I really want to try and pull it off. I knew I wasn't there yet, but I thought I was at least at punk rock yeah. when I played my yeah, first yeah. show. But then the people who were punk rock in the audience were like, no, that pretty much just sucked. Oh, you my know? God. But, and the guitar strap broke and all of that, but I didn't walk away from that, which is, I was talking to somebody else about this, is like, you find that thing that you can push through the suck with, like, you know, that you're willing to suck at, you're willing to get up there and mm. be like, I don't give a fuck if that's just one show, Yeah. you know, and I'm going to do it again. That's and I've heard right. comedians talk about this too. Well, I think you have to have that if you're a comedian mm -hmm. to, to go out in front of an audience and try it material and it doesn't work and doesn't mm -hmm. work and just get up and try to refine it anyway. And oh my God, talk about your craft. Yeah. Talk about a craft. Woo. Well, it's, the, it's the craft of living. I'm going to wiggle this just to make sure it doesn't turn itself off. The craft of like living, um, I think is, you know, you were saying that you feel so alive and you try something, 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 you know, that's a fearful thing. You've pushed through it. You've accomplished this thing. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. We've got the fish to crawl out of the water and, you know, mm -hmm. get on and, you know, do what it took to where the lobed 
fins turn to feet mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. Like it's a real, it's a thing in us, you know. Yeah. It's why we're not single-celled organisms anymore, you know. Yeah. Is it that something, something is driving that. So you are getting in touch with something primal when you take on those those risks, you know. I think that's true. I think that's very true. And I've always just wanted true. to get straight to that, you know. Yeah. Like just the risk thing. Huh. Know? But I, I'm working on it a little bit, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually at 44, like, trying to get a little better at playing the guitar. I'm like, actually, <laughs> just sit in the room. Because I didn't sit in the room and practice when I was in a band. I did band rehearsal, and I played shows. And I just wanted to get... So no practice on your own? Very, very, very little. Oh, my goodness. Like, hold the guitar while I'm watching TV. Wow. And, you know, okay. That kind of thing. I just didn't want it to feel like that. I didn't want it to feel like this thing that... Um, I had worked on. Like, yeah. I, I wanted to just be, I wanted to be flying by the sea. You wouldn't have a raw experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think there's probably a justification because I do this podcast the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a justification for not, like, you know, having some discipline there. Like, even, <laughs> you know? But it fucking. Is there an God, area in your life whole... that you have some discipline? Some. <laughs> some. I have more than. <laughs> I I have a lot more than I grew up with. Yeah. You know, and I came by it the hard way because I got to where, with lack of discipline, I got to where people didn't want me around and I couldn't get jobs. And, like, you know, I like, that's how I ended up in Minnesota. You know, like, I, I had a problem. Like, I fucked up, you know. So I got out there and I was without the family support, without the sort of, hammock of Richmond, you uh-huh. know, the, the thing that sort of just breaks every fall, yeah, you know, yeah. and I was up there <clears throat> not knowing anybody, just another person that's come out there on the pilgrimage, and I was like, god damn, every dollar I earn, you know, like, matters, like, I need this, like, yeah. you know, I didn't spend $20, you know, frivolously, and, and I showed up for work every fucking day, yeah. I never... Because you had to. Yeah. And I always did that stuff. I was, as Mr. Softy once said, a completely unreliable asshole. Hmm. You know? And I really worked hard on being reliable and, you know. Um, so that, I, I developed discipline around that. I developed a work ethic. and But it, it didn't, I didn't come with it. Did not come included in the box. Mm-hmm. You know. So. How about your sister? Lucy's always, yeah, she works hard. Has she, has she always been? been like that does mm-hmm. she have okay up in well she had her period of being rebellious like 14 15 like you know sneaking out jumping on the back of a motorcycle but she like you she had this kind of mom and dad identification hmm. you know at a young age and like really wanted to do right you know hmm. and i didn't have that identification i did not see myself as having anything to do with my parents yeah. you know I don't know. Maybe that's like a psychopath. I don't think that's a psychopath. I think that's. I think that's more typical than than the yeah, other way. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. I think well, we might. The human race might be split down the middle. I mean, there are kids who like appreciate their parents and appreciate what their parents are doing for them, and maybe it's it's a lot more random than that. But I've known a lot of people like that. They're yeah. like they got good relationships with their parents. The parents didn't have to force them to do stuff. They didn't have to, whatever. And then they're re- rebels, you know. Yeah. And that's what I was. Like, I just kind of rebelled against whatever anybody 
told me to do, you know. And uh, I think some of that was just how I was wired, and some of it was like I don't like these people that are working hard. Like yeah. I didn't like the I people. I don't want to be grades. like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they just seemed like they didn't like they didn't weren't picking up what I was laying down hmm. either. What about like what was your I mean, you can't, you know, we've both been around for a few decades. Now it's hard to summarize, but, <laughs> you know, like, did you ever get married? Or I did. You I did? did. I got married. married. I was married for uh, five seconds. Yeah? I was married in my 20s, yeah. Really? Yeah, in my late 20s. I was married for a couple of years, yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good story, or not. Well, I don't know what they're story is not really all what that was, much of a story let me interrupt that like what was your like you finished college like 20 yeah i finished and college and i i um moved to new york right away with and my, did you do the whole waiting tables and i didn't wait tables and i'll tell you why this is a weird thing to say but i had an i had an acting teacher in college who made me swear not i did everything else you could mm -hmm. possibly do i sports mm -hmm. perfume and macy's and uh -huh. i tempt and uh -huh. you know i did everything else but i was sworn to not wait tables because she said you will bring that into auditions with you mm. you will bring a a servile thing into auditions with you and i can always spot people who are who are currently waiting tables or who have been waiting tables for a long time mm. so if you possibly can don't do that mm. so. servile. that's interesting because so many waiters i know really act like the customers are serving them <laughs> You know, <laughs> especially in New York. Interestingly, I yeah. would have said that it's yeah. the resentment that you would smell on them, or the desperation. I don't even know if it's that. Shame. There's there's a weird <laughs> thing with actors too, where you, I think actors innately have a want to please thing mm -hmm. within them, but you can't bring that into audition rooms. It's right. deadly. It's absolutely deadly mm -hmm. if you if you bring that in. You have to go into those rooms and perform for yourself. This is me. Not for not for the people behind the table, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think oftentimes if you're if you're waiting tables, you're going up to tables and you're you're wanting to bring your warmth and your and get them to well, like you, you immediately. You money, right. right. Exactly. 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 Although there was this whole experiment done where the mean waitresses make more money than the nice waitresses. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Because people are trying to buy their interesting, interesting. Not, there's a that's a really I think I mean to me waiting tables is an awesome life skill because it's customer service, it's marketing, it's sales. It absolutely is. It's all of this stuff. It's playing a role. It's putting yourself. Yes, it is. If you're good at it. Yes, it you is. Um, there, you pick up a lot of skills there that I think business. Students should have to go wait tables I as think, like for credit. I think it's a good idea. Like That's a good semester. idea. I knew I would suck at it, and I knew I would cry mm -hmm. in New York because New York restaurants are, are tend to be such sort of unpleasant madhouses mm -hmm. often. Well, they're they're like Anthony Bourdain has described them. There's crazy drugs going on, like oh yeah, bizarre. I worked sure. in a few in New York. Like I, I waited tables in restaurants and. New York and the chef was high on dope. Oh yeah. Like you know he actually. That's why there's such a, a high burnout rate of, of chefs mm -hmm. and, and that talk about your competitive. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Scene. This guy was good. He'd been like a private chef at Sobel's or something. That and he'd been in the army too, and he went to CIA and all this mm -hmm. stuff. But he was a total like 
the East Village, when I was there, like, 94, 5, 6, 8, you could buy heroin like you're picking yeah, up a slice of pizza. I think you can there. probably do that I now. Still can. It's a little harder, I think. I mean, you could go up to a, a stoop right next door to me on 7th Street and yeah. buy a Coke and heroin, 5 and $10. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, so that's what he, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Waiters, you know, a lot of times they were making enough money to go do that. A pretty crazy scene. But you, were you and I there at the same time? They must have been, because I, I moved there in 92. I didn't even know. I don't think I even knew you were there. Where were you? Did you live in the village the whole time? Yeah, 7th. Because I feel like I've had nine lives in mm-hmm. that city. I mo- I've moved around. So I've lived in every possible area you mm-hmm. could live in, except the village. Never lived in the east or west village. Lived everywhere else. Literally. Like Hell's Kitchen? Oh, yeah. Chelsea? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the Harlem. boroughs, everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where do you live now? I live in Harlem. Yeah. I live in Harlem. How is that? You know, um, it reminds me of Churchill, mm-hmm. in a way. In a in a in an odd way, um, it's become a little gentrified. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a sort of wonderful historic significance about it that I really like, mm-hmm. and there's, there are, there are parts of it that are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like it a lot. I live so close to the um the two three train, mm-hmm. um so I can be in Times Square in like you know ten. Harlem is on the east side. Of I live in park. I live in West um oh, cause it's West Harlem. It's so f- uh, well. It's, I sort of live like sort of between West and East. Yeah, between. It's at the tip of the park. Yeah. Central Park, right? So yep. it kind of actually wraps around. Yep. The... I live I live up up to, um by 125th Street and the park uh-huh. goes up to 110th. Uh-huh. Oh, that's 110th Street. Mhm. Close though. Col- Columbia is Yeah. around there. Yeah, it's that right? Morningside Heights district. I think technically Harlem starts around the 125th. Mhm. And uh, from about 100 to 125th is that Morningside Heights Columbia area. Mm-hmm. I got up there a little bit when I was there. I dated somebody that went to Columbia, and I went to an art gallery there. But every neighborhood is so – you have everything you need yeah. in that neighborhood. There's yeah. no reason to leave it most yeah. of the time. Yeah. You know, And even if there's something special going on in Harlem, people are like, ah, if it's any good, it'll come down here at some point. You know, and they're the probably right. <laughs> and they're probably right. But it usually goes the other way around. Like it starts down in the village, and then it, get, it gains – uh, you know, some kind of notoriety and moves to the other parts of the city. I think that, yeah, yeah I think you're probably right. Mm-hmm. When you lived in New York, did you find the existence of just existing in New York was like a second job for you? Well, you know, I had it pretty easy, actually. I I moved into a rent-stabilized apartment. It was a thousand dollars. Wow! And there were th- I lived with two other guys. I paid three eighty-five when I moved there, and I paid four. I was paying four twenty-five when I left. Mm-hmm. And I never felt desperate about making the rent, right? Because I knew they really take a long time for them to get you out of there if you didn't. Like, I mean, we got three months behind at one point, and they never even said anything. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean the the laws are on your side. Yeah, and your squatters' rights and all that. So, no, I, what was harder for me, I didn't like, I, you know, I made enough money to survive at that. I never, I probably made 20000 a year, 25000 a year when I was there. I worked at a record label. I worked in a club. Worked as, but the thing that was really hard was, like, 
the second job was trying to be be me mm. there. Mm. Like I, another thing I just took for granted about Richmond was this sense of history that I was born into yeah. here and yeah. family yeah. And, and and just having a place. Yep. And none of that shit counted for shit up there. I was just another fucking you know Yahoo yep. who came up there with big dumb ideas and whatever and. Um, I think the most interesting time for me was when I stopped trying to be part of all that because I, for a while, I was like really tried to be in the scene, you know, mm. and like be at this show, be at this club, be around these people, you know, be at this opening. Oh my God, that sounds whatever. exhausting. Just I'm just listening to that and my head goes, oh my God, wow. Well, I was, com- you know, I had major FOMO. Do you know what that is? What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. Ah. So, because so many magical things happen when you're in the right place at the right time up there. <laughs> And I had no desire to be one of those people that were just pounding the pavement with a resume or whatever. Yeah. It was all who you know. Yeah. You don't get to know those people unless you're making the scene. So that was a job. You know, huh. setting myself up to have cool random things happen for me, like the free practice space or the free drum kit or the job. I, I was constantly getting hooked up because I was with the right people. So it was yeah. that networking. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of. But it was less about survival and more about trying to jockey for some kind of player yeah. position. And um, and I I quit at one point. I just became like I went to work and I went to the gym, you know, and like I made myself dinner. And I remember sitting in my apartment one time and just saying, hey, I'm just a guy that lives in New York now that like any place I could be anywhere. You know, I'm a New Yorker. Uh-huh. I, I'm one of those folks that's in their apartment you know, I'm not trying to be around the Beastie Boys or mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting – I mean, that place is it, – it's like the focus of so many different kinds of aspirations of this – you know, the entire country. People look there – a certain kind of person, you know, looks there. And, and, and we're sort of – it's like a mecca, you know, it's this, there's this draw to it. Things it is definitely a, a, a city where there. everyone in their city has an agenda. Right. No, nobody comes to New York just to live. Right. Everybody is there with the, with a purpose right. for mm-hmm. being there, which is weird. I don't know any other cities really that, that sort of people. But probably L.A. <laughs> yeah. Probably L.A. Yeah. 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 And, and which is – it's cool and it's fucked up, you know. I mean – like you can get comfortable with the fact that none of these relationships really mean anything because everybody's out for themselves and the relationship lasts whether it's a friendship or whatever yeah. as long as you're all mutually yeah beneficial. I mean I had real friends up there and they came from here you know and they came from here yeah huh. but everyone else I knew up there was kind of like you know I got the I got to do the new kid in town thing you know when I first moved there and I was everybody wanted to know who I was and whatever and then you know, there was somebody else, yeah. you know, and all of that. But yeah, I mean, you get, you start to play that game and it really changes the way you look at everything. You mm. know, it makes you narcissistic, even if you're not already, you know, it can make you kind of a sociopath, I think. Yeah. But it seems like you didn't have to deal with that, like really, or did you? Well, I mean, I think there's definitely that aspect to the, the theater community. It, it's, it's very insular. Um, but I, I never was sort of, you know, I'm in musical theater. That's not cool. That's, right. That's, what's the what's the least cool thing you can be in? Mm, musical theater. So that sort of has never really played anywhere in my 
my agenda. Um, so I never really worried about, oh, I got to go to that party, I got to network. Although I, mm -hmm. in retrospect, I probably should have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I probably should have. But I never was really comfortable with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what you, I think what you're describing is is very typical. Mm -hmm. It's very typical. Um, I, I find that it, it takes um, an extra amount of sort of psychic energy just to exist in New York mm -hmm. that doesn't take anywhere else. Yeah. Like you come to Richmond and it's you know it's you can breathe mm -hmm. you can breathe you're not you don't walk out of your door and you're on guard mm -hmm. do you know what i mean oh, hell it, yeah. in a way that you sort of are in new york without even being aware of it and i don't really get aware of it until i until i go away mm -hmm. for periods you know but like i'm about to go back to new york in a couple of weeks and it's like and i'm already girding girding my loins yeah, yeah. To, to go back mm -hmm. you know when you're when you're living in it you sort of um stop being aware mm -hmm. of that but there's definitely uh there's definitely a um i feel myself sort of more open when i'm not in new york yeah you know i mean you know looking back on it i love that i had that experience you know oh and my god I, how and I got absolutely with that discomfort you know that like you walk out of your house, you have to justify your existence to take up this space on the sidewalk, to take up this space on the train, <laughs> you know, so true. Where, wherever you're going, you know, people are moving. Don't fucking stand still. You're That's in the way. Right. That's right. You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, and even in a neighborhood that was pretty chill, like the East Village, like that still was, there was a sense that there's nothing you can take for granted as being yours out there. Not the spot where you want to park your bike, not where you want to put your car. Yeah. You know, there's. Um, no, I don't know. You, I don't know. There was anywhere chill in New York. That just isn't. I mean, it, I I did chill in the. I mean, I sat in fucking Tompkins Square Park and smoked weed and drank. Good and, for you. And I did. But chill, you had but to you had to smoke and drink to, to do that. Right, I was fucked up to find right? that chill. Yeah, you know. But and, and that's what I. I mean, and I, those were sort of the last days of that being possible. Like that. From what I understand of the trajectory, is that you know New York got to be pretty much a fucking third world kind of situation economy there like in the i guess the 80s you know and it got seriously blighted seriously yeah. depressed seriously yeah. bankrupt all fucked up and then they gradually kind of you know built it up but it, you know you could just live wherever you want to do whatever you want and nobody cared it was like anarchy yeah. and like it, the 90s was I like i think the you were there the last very last end. very last days of that yeah. anymore i was giuliani was systematically yep saying, you know what, that's actually, that thing is actually in the way of the uh, right. economy because the people with money will come here that's if they're right. safe that's if you right. can guarantee them that if that's they build this right. thing or whatever. And and um, Bloomberg only went and took that in a further direction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But Absolutely. there's only so far, I mean, at some point there's going to be so many squares in that city that nobody's going to want any part of it. Like, it seems to me like... Because I mean, it's well, it's sad. I mean, you yeah. used to be able to come to New York, and you could you could come there with you know two hundred dollars and be an, be an artist and and find your way and have mm -hmm. experiences. Now that's that's an impossibility. Yeah, you cannot you cannot live in that city without without money. I mean, it's just and Sweet. and to be a, a young person, you know, striving and and. I feel like there's not there's not that place mm -hmm. for them. And where where now is that place? Well, Where it's is a that state place? of mind because you needed to be someplace like New York or L.A., period, 
if yeah. you wanted to get involved in the industry. Absolutely. And that's no longer the case. Look, I'm fucking doing this shit in, on a desk <laughs> in Churchill, that's Union right. Hill, and mm-hmm. I have as much access. I'm on iTunes right alongside Serial yeah. and yeah. and WTF and all of that stuff. That's yeah. equal access. Yeah. So far, they haven't. You know, net neutrality is still you know whatever it is, but you don't have to do that stuff. And it's weird because the thing that's drawing people to New York isn't. It, it's the vestiges of that. But I think it's a, a whiff. It, it is a siren song or something else. It's like some for some of us, it doesn't count unless it happens there. You know, there's still some God. thing it's got. You know, yeah. it's like that that unattainable guy or girl. It it is that for people. And if you're if you're built that way, you know, you you want it and you yeah. go there and and um, I mean. Henry Miller said something in one of his books about, you know, in Europe, you know, European women, they're, they're full of love and passion and depth and softness and like they have souls and all of this. And American women are like the acetylene torch on the subway tracks at midnight, (laughs) you know, know, like, what can you do for me? And I think that, um, I don't know if that's a, I think it's the ultimate in that social Darwinian Darwinianism thing. If like there's alpha people that you want to be around that feel like leaders that yeah. feel like that's what that city is. It it's the alpha city. It's the place that sort of it's it's our face. It's like America's, you know, mm. eyes. It's America's face. It's like the thing that shows it somehow encapsulates um we project a bunch of shit onto it. You know, and and it and then it doesn't, it, and it has it because it's projected there. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't. And do you have think the be. do you think the media is still projecting that about New York? Well, I think there are people who have power there and you know want to hold on to it, um, but I think it's gradually more important. More people are saying why. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think it has its thing regardless of what's going on there. Like the way. In a weird way, Richmond has something wrong with it underneath the soil. There is a, um, there's a little bit of a, like, something went wrong here. It's a little bit of a, a like, a burial ground, like an Indian burial ground. What an ground. interesting thing to say. And, and I'm not the only one that said it, but you can, there's something. What a uh, very interesting you know. observation. Hmm. And whatever that, New York has something different. Like, yeah. It, it's, um, yeah. it feels like a very fertile place, like, you know, maybe it is like a fertile crescent kind of place. You know, it's a lot of water, a lot of energy, a lot of shit just has gone through there. And it's just by default got this electricity to it. I think it had it when it was like dirt, mm. you know, and trees. You know, it's just that some parts, I think some places just got it, you know. And uh, But like you, your question was, where is that place now? I mean, I really think we're entering a new phase of what it means I think in the way that as humans we were able to keep a Stephen Hawking alive so they can contribute. Yeah. That we have created an extension of our intelligence that allows us to even greater value people who were not valuable before. And like we can find our niche, we can find our community, we can connect, you know, uh, through through likes and and tastes and all of that kind of stuff, and we can build these uh, nodes of that stuff. And so, you know, I think gradually more and more people are going to be very much more comfortable with that and not feel like they got to be any particular place. You yeah. Know? It's already really, you know, 
but you're still going to want to go to those tactile places like New York. You know, I mean, it really depends. If you want to go there, you want the romantic dream of being Johnny Thunders who shot up dope and played guitar and dressed like a woman and was in that, you can still go to New York and do that. Well, you know? and, no, no, you really can't. I mean, that's like going to going to Las Vegas and going, I want to see the Rat Pack. No, that's right. a that hasn't existed for years. I think they're still there. You're, I'm going to burst your bubble, sir. That's, you don't think so? You know what, you Vegas is? Have you been to village, Vegas you know? recently? Oh, I know. <laughs> Vegas is a completely construct. It's totally artificial. New York Nobody is New there. York is 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 on its way. Is on right. its way. But it's still it has a raison d'être like it, the ocean, the Hudson Bay, the rivers, you know. All and now an stuff. Olive Garden on each corner. Right. Well, it's, yeah. They put they turned the Times Square into a food court. Things in, are things are 90s. changing. Things are changing. But there's still, as long as there are people who are really good at the money part of it, who want, you know, they want to patronize like they did in Europe. You want to patronize the. The, the character with the charisma, you know, that that sexy, you know, creative being, those people will still go to be around. Maybe I'll still go to be around those people. And they are supported by, you know, the extremely wealthy gay man who comes down and, you know, has Robert Maplethorpe that he just keeps in a loft so he can, you know, just taste that mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. where he lives and works, there's none of that. Mm -hmm. So they'll, maybe there'll always be that symbiotic, like we, we got the wild side You've got the civilization. You want to. You want a little. You want to plug into this every now and then. There'll still have to be people, and that's how those people get supported. You know, the beautiful people have always kind of made their way through. You know, some kind of patronage. Hmm. I think. You know, that's what I wanted, but I wasn't. I wasn't beautiful. <laughs> You're still looking for or your patron. No, no longer. <laughs> I'm my own patron. <laughs> I am my own patron. I figured, I mean, Can I get that on a T-shirt? Yeah, you should. <laughs> Yeah, maybe sticker. everybody. I am my own patron, but I I figured that out with this. I want to ask people to support this podcast, and I watched them working while I was asking them for money so I could do this thing. And I said, I I got to get back to work and support <laughs> this myself. I spent a summer just doing this. Though. Oh wow! Yeah. Now it takes a backseat to being my own patron. So I do it when it works being out. Being your you know? own patron. What was so. the impetus to start this? What was the... uh, other podcasts that I really got a lot out of listening to, like WTF, yeah. you know, Mark Maron's one. That was a major. Okay. Like I like I would work. I was working in a meat department at a restaurant depot in Minneapolis. I mean, well, in Minneapolis, and there's nothing going on back there but me and a forklift, and like I'm tagging meat, and I would put listening to <laughs> Mark Maron. Yeah, and, and all the different guests you have on there, and I, I mean, more and more of this connecting with other people. It's kind of like the theater thing. Yeah. realizing what goes on behind the scenes because I just thought people were suddenly talented comedians huh. you know I didn't think that they sat at home and wrote yeah. that shit all that stuff I didn't feel like doing yeah you know I no, didn't he, know they worked he really on does it. talk about craft yeah he really does talk about craft and each everybody's so different and this always have a sort of wonderful feel of like a therapy session mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah you know I feel like I've had a therapy session when I listen to Right. That. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing. It and is. I think people are people want it and that's really why we like podcasts so much, no matter what they're about, is that there is an element of I get to be listen to people being vulnerable without having to be vulnerable myself. Mm. And but it gradually when you listen about all of these people doing that, you sort of go, Okay, I can 
yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, and vulnerable is just taking down the defenses and 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 the guys and like saying, okay, this is what I really think. Yeah. About this. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, I wanted to play a part in that, like you know, putting that kind of shit out there, and you know. Hey, I can get out, just make this thing and suck at it till it's good or whatever. So can you, let's not like believe in this, this paradigm that you've got to get somebody to tell you you're good and then they got to give you money and then you can do it. Yeah. You can always, you can always just do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, I, I think that is a very important spiritual lesson. You know, it's therapy and it's spirituality that you are as good as anybody else. That's right. It's like the Stuart message. What? Like, gosh That's darn it. That's right. Whether or not anybody ever fucking likes it, you know, it does. The, that does not really matter. It's like you've got to authorize yourself to try something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Just put something out there. That's right. You know? Instead of waiting for somebody else to give you permission to do it. Mm-hmm. And we've, there's never or validation been, to do it. I've heard many people, Mark Duplass, to lots of, lots of other people say there's no excuse not to do it. Now. Mm. You mm. know, this doesn't cost any money. Yeah. You know, it's cheap. Yeah. If not damn near free. Yeah. You know, and that I mean, punk showed people a long time ago. You don't have to have the best guitar. You don't have to have lessons. You don't. You can write unforgettable songs like you know, Blitzkrieg Bop. Or whatever, you know, and you and at the time that they came out doing that, they were all of the rock had become this incredibly pretentious thing, you know, huge stage shows, hmm. major productions, all of that. And his, it's always been this thing that came out of a back room, you know, it's so true. And yeah. you gotta remember that, yeah. Same with, I mean, yeah, I wonder, do you ever want to like get in touch with the, you know, the, the bard's cart going down the road and you just stop somewhere and you pop open the gates and you say we're gonna put on a show with bait with what we got you know i think you should go undercover (laughs) that's that's i think you want that for me more than i actually want that for myself i don't know you said maybe it's never too late that's true that's true you could just totally like dip into some like underground shit like Go take some Meisner class, you know, and, and have it under an assumed name and, you know. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of fun. Okay, you come up for, with an assumed name for me and I'll, I'll get yeah. on that. I'll get on that. Yeah, I was going to say January because the calendar's right over here, but that's taken. You got January, June, right? <laughs> My mother's on an alias on take... Facebook. Yeah. My she... mother won't get on her... Under her, her name, which I find something like hysterical you about that. Peek? Do you want anybody peeking at you? Uh, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. It's interesting, but like you can go on her page and like you know, so she only wants to friend the people that she wants. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just interesting. I mean, you know, and that's probably a smart way to do it, really, because you can get it, involved in a lot of shit. Totally. That is really kind of stupid or pointless, um, but it, I. I for me, like mixing it up in social networking has taught me a lot about myself and gotten me to, you know. Tell me, Kurt, what has social networking taught you about yourself? Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody. You needed that to tell you? Yeah, because, I mean, I had a psychotic, <laughs> you know, narcissistic sort of idea that people were, you know, expecting something or I had to show them 
something at some point. And I can see every day there's people, you know, putting stuff out there that's for yeah. everyone's benefit, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's legitimate, like, I'm joyful about this. I'd like for you to share my yeah, joy. Yeah, absolutely. There is, I'm okay, see? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. See? That's right. See? Yeah. There's something desperate about it. And I've been there, and, and, and I learned that, like, that audience is made up. It's your own judgment of yourself. Absolutely. It, you know, you got to stop judging yourself like that. You know, and you got to stop being so hard on yourself. Is however you are looking at those other people out there is totally the, you know, you point one finger. There's, you know, four more pointing back at you. That's you right. That. That's right. Yeah. Our internal environment is what we project. So you know, I, I keep trying to learn that. It's a thing you can't. You can't stay on top of that without like dedicated practice. You know, it's like meditation and all these other things because you're going to lose your objectivity, you know, at some point. You're going to be a human. Well, there is that thing of, you know, you want to stay valid. You want to stay with the culture, uh, whatever. But then there is that part of knowing what social media is and then ultimately, is it good for us as human beings? What is it? What is it doing for us, what is mm -hmm. it doing to us? I, I have I have big questions. I have big questions I about think it. like everything, you know, like that axe I was talking about earlier, you can use that to grind up some roots and you can eat or you can bust somebody upside the yeah, head. Yeah, sure, sure. And that's the, the human sure. thing, you know. Yeah. And I don't think this technology is any different from any other technology no, we've no, ever, no. that we've invented. It's no. the same. It doesn't portend some awful thing. It's all in where are you at spiritually that makes you use it yes. a certain kind of way. And yes. I don't mean spiritually like you know, That's Jesus right. and shit. I mean like – Were you with, in where touch you with at? yourself? Yeah. You, know, you betcha. Uh, What's going on with your – What yes. are your motives? Yep. You know? Are you Lady Macbeth? You yeah. know, are you Mother Teresa? Yeah. You, know? yeah. Um, you can use a computer to fucking ruin people. You can use social networking to torture people. Or you can use it to connect to people That's that you right. otherwise would forget about. That's you know? right. That's so true. I like it. I, I like the fact that we can get connected and that we are developing something of a hive. Like we can have some of the good things about a connected consciousness, you know, that these things form neurons between yeah, us. And yeah. Our individual brains get linked up. You know, when I'm listening to a podcast or I'm on here chatting with somebody or whatever, I can, it can feel pretty intimate, you know, and it can feel like that, you know, you're – you are communing with people. And I don't think it is art artificial. I think we have found a means to do something that we've always we've wanted to do. We want to connect beyond like um, just the physical. We, we, we want to connect outside of the rules of physical engagement yeah. sometimes. You yeah. know? I think like theater is, is one of the ways that we came up with to do that where you want to engage with people that you don't want to engage you get to be kind of a voyeur you know i'm telling you a story you're watching me we both are in on this illusion right a little bit right you know um there's an understanding um and there you know this this beautiful kind of I, i'm here to watch but i'm here to be ignored you know i'm you know i'm here but you're ignoring me you know it's the same like we're doing the same thing you know when we put something on our wall you know Inter interesting. Okay. All the world is safe. 
All the, certainly on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> certainly it is on Facebook. players. Yeah. Do you, uh, this is getting so long where I, I don't, we might be at like two hours. I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost eight o'clock. I could, I, I have a lot more questions for you. You might have to just turn off the mics. <laughs> <laughs> what are your questions? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we were like, I, I want to know more about your life. I mean, like, I feel like at one point when we were in middle school, we were friends, you know, we were, you know, and I mean, I had a crush on you and all that kind of stuff, you know, you had so a crush on you were me. more important to me than just like any, you know, regular like there was a finite group of kids. It was like I know. Well, that's we what I mean by I feel like, and we and we sort of all hit high school and everybody went to different places and we yeah. sort of lost that. Yeah. Like I was pals with Cressy. I lost Cressy. I lost you. Pierce. I lost Pierce. I mean, I, sort of everybody sort of went their disparate. We stayed, you know. You know. The f- McDonald's and the Pains. That's because you guys are family, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there were. Major, like, Mac Marshall. Uh, Lost Mac, yeah. right? Lost mm-hmm. the Corleys. I mean, just, you know. Hugh and I, I have, my dad is good friends with Carl. And, well, my parents are friends with them. They go to the opera together and stuff. So I, I've actually seen a lot of the Corleys um, over the last year. My parents were told, told me that they, they've moved some to some great place. Yeah, they sold that house of theirs. They sold their amazing house. Yeah. Talk about some. I mean... No one ever bought any of these houses thinking it's going to appreciate in value to the degree that it did. This was not house flipping. It was not. Yeah. These were not no. gentrifiers. No, people, people came up here to have, houses. love these houses and wanted to have families up here. Well, my parents' house is worth, you know, exponentially more than they paid for it. Yeah. You know, and the Corleys, yeah. I mean, geez, that place is like, I mean, that's a, a, a really classic, like Robert E. Lee was up in there kind of house. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So they they did well, and I mean I I forget what I I had to know what they I mean they paid they bought it in the '70s money, yeah. you know where I think making ten grand a year right. is like making thirty right. Right. is now forty. I think my parents know, bought their house for like forty thousand dollars or something. I bet it was less than that. Yeah, maybe thirty, thirty-five, something like that. It was in better shape. My parents' house was twenty something. Marion's house. Did they come up earlier? Because my parents came up in 69. They bought in 71. Same. Yeah. You know, my parents lived on that block did when they, they started out. When I was born, we lived on the corner where the Marshalls lived. Oh, in you lived apartment. A, Oh, you're kidding. Wow. Until I was two. And then we moved to a... Wow. So we lived on the same block. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't remember you as a toddler. <laughs> I don't remember you either. I don't even remember when I became aware of you because we weren't in... I guess it might have been middle school. Because it yeah. wasn't, we weren't Did we in play? It? No, because in elementary school, I played with Mac, who was on my block, and Dieter Hentz. Dieter Hentz, oh my God, we were And Philippa so... Armstrong. Oh yeah, Shep and Philippa. Shep and Philippa, who Holy lived next to, yeah. I forgot about that. The whole, whole other posse. Yeah. You know. We were, we were so bad to Dieter. I don't know we why. We were so bad to Dieter. Yeah. We oh, treated him like, literally like shit. Oh. There was a, a time, well, we won't get into I don't know why we were very mean to him. And he's, I don't want to know where he is now. I don't know. Werner and yeah, yeah. Henson. It was a very interesting. I mean, they were really a, a extremely. It was an interesting eclectic, group of people up here. Yeah, we may have all been Caucasian and all pioneers. Was, yeah, all and everybody of, was from somewhere else. That's right. There wasn't. That's right. I tell people this all the time. You did not, even though you might have had friends that you know had the same 
general like socioeconomic thing. People's parents were from the Midwest. They were from the Northeast. Your yeah. dad was from Liverpool. From, yeah, from Sheffield. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and the a, heads, a, Werner was German. Crazy range. Know? Yeah. Was, yeah. All people from all over. Really and all people who had gravitated up here just because they liked it uh-huh. up here. There wasn't this Interesting. idea. There wasn't this cynical house flipping thing going no, on. No, 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 no. No, that's why I get mad when I hear people talk about gentrification. Like, no. No, like, I don't feel like that's what's happened up here. I really don't. It's still not. Yeah. You know, it's still not that kind of – it is not a safe bet. It is not you, – you're not guaranteed shit. This is like the best it's ever been. Yeah. The guy who renovated this house thought in the – like when he finished it in the 80s that he was going to be able to sell it. And the market just never mm. got to where he – you know, he just kept renting it. Mm. Now it's all fucked up, you know. It wasn't like – you know, he was telling me, he was like, you could have eaten off the floors when I finished this place. Oh, good. But it's not... Um, this is a great house. Yeah, it's got character on this stuff. But look at the door here. I mean, it's torn up. It's like, <laughs> and you should have seen this room before I painted it. It was gray. Was that the original red. door, you think? You think this is the original door? Probably With a different, different... They apparently used this as the parts car for the rest of these houses. Like, they... Everything. Wow. As they worked on the other three, they were taking doors out of here. They took the pocket uh, doors out. You know, so this was kind of like the last one that yeah. they, they did. But I don't know. I've been wanting to, like, make it like it's supposed to be. But I'm on the fence about, you know, buying it and all that. Enough about that. <laughs> but the, um, core, the core of this house is, is this has good bones, this house. It does. You know? It's the weird and it's a about great it. size. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's connected to another house. You know, it's like, and that turns place. you off. That makes you go, well, yeah, because I mean, you're, you want to be your joined, own entity, you're literally a co joined at the hip yes. with somebody else. Yes, if they do messed up shit to their part of it, then, what? <laughs> you know, you're expecting that. Is that that's how my mind that's how your mind works? Days. Yeah, oh, just gonna fucking ruin and it you only point. lived in New York a couple of years. That's amazing. I'm way less cynical. Than that. <laughs> I came back from that place like nothing matters. No I, I, no one counts. I don't care about your feelings. Nothing. That really, that place definitely did a number on me. It was like, Please, yeah. I've been there 22 years. Yeah. Can you well, imagine? You seem very Can you well adjusted. You, you've come, or maybe it's your, you've been in Richmond for what a month now, and you're still showing out. Oh God, no, I definitely, I definitely think New York has done. I don't know number on me, but I, I do wonder sometimes, would I be a different person? What kind of person would I be were I not there? Mm-hmm. And would I have not lived there for so long? Well, we can ask that question. Like, and, yeah. You know, to me, yeah. having basically time traveled from like 1983 to now with you, yeah. you know, I think you've really, knowing all the other people I know that have lived in New York and come and gone, once again, you're in the 14. You know, I'm in the fortune. You're not crazy. <laughs> you don't have that fucking babbling, like, kind of, you know, I mean, that stereotypical person, in, you know, in the in the middle age, you know, bracket in New York who is like, this has passed me by. That hasn't worked out. I'm, you know, their egos don't ever get to that solid place. They just mm. get more and more insecure mm. to the point of neurosis and being crazy. And I think you seem... Maybe you're just putting on a good maybe, show. Maybe I'm putting on a good show. Yeah. I don't know. I think you, I you, know. you've made it through the class again. <laughs> you've made it through yeah. class. I, I mean, I really, uh, both you and Liza in, in like totally different ways are like, I mean, you both 
like making something happen in a thing that is extremely competitive and like and both of you are solid it is it is, int it is interesting because mm -hmm. uh, i think we're both solid people too mm -hmm. i mean I, I but i do think it, it comes from where we grew up yeah i really do i think it comes from growing up here it comes being in the, the family we were in but really i mean very glad that i grew up where and when i did mm -hmm. Um, I have a great affection for for Richmond and for Churchill in particular, and um, you know, when, when people talk about their 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 childhoods and in, in, in disparaging ways, I think shit, I didn't have that. Yeah, I had I had nothing but, you know, nothing but interesting, rich stuff mm -hmm. to call on, you know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really fucked up till I went out to the West End. <laughs> then I met the there kids you go. with the prescription There you drugs. go. See, had you just stayed, you know. Safe, you know, and that's um, that's not even like a joke. Like the people that I had gone to middle school with, they did not get, they didn't go the route I went. And yeah. they, you know, they, they always kind of, I mean, they dabbled and stuff, but it didn't become this, you know, the thing. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of that Roman, you know, I don't know, that. What do you call it? That not Bach. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. The um, God damn it! It's a it, it's a Roman term. Hedonism. Hedonism. Yeah, that hedonism thing with the rich kids. That's what fucked me up more than anything. Was you know there were certain kids that I got came in contact with out there and they they introduced me to that. Uh, you know. Where are they now? Where are the rich Something, kids now? Well, some of them are dead. Where There's are the a fair amount of dead or just not. But you know, there's yeah. there's people who have done good with it. That's that was the worst influence of the wealthy kids for me is that they're they had a lot of latchkey hmm. situations. Their parents gave them money and didn't really pay attention to what they were doing. And, yeah, you know, there was exposure to things. You know, parents who just were like, hey, it looks good. All right, it's good. Yeah, you know, get yeah. the right clothes on. Hair's part of the right way. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I just saw this movie Foxcatcher. Have you ever read about this I know movie? about it. Mm -hmm. About, so du is it Dupont? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I was sitting there. It made me made me sort of really think about the super rich, not not the rich, but the super rich. Yeah. And how that can mess you up. So mm -hmm. it's such a hardcore way. Just your your whole perspective because you you live in a bubble. You mm -hmm. live in a sort of sort of weirdly protected bubble. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a fascinating movie. You should go see it. Well, you know that. I mean, this is an age-old thing. It's the. You would think. I mean, I think the way we are with this one percent and all of that, is that. There has become something very competitive about being rich. It's not just success. It's about how absurdly wealthy can you be, where mm. you can like you know wipe your ass with gold. Yeah. You know, yeah. like there's this. It's a. I mean, the thing that was I was going to say before about high school is that it wasn't that, like, nobody knew anything about Churchill. The people did not live in Churchill because they were racist. It was that the fashion dictated that you were living yeah. in the West End. Right. The fashion dictated you lived that's in, right. out there. That's right. And that's just what people did. That's and if right. you wanted to connect with the right people, you wanted to network with the right people, you were out there. Yeah. You were not going to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish if you lived in Churchill. Mm -hmm. So much more about that than people realize and than some aversion to what was going on there. It was like I we they wanted to be with their people. Yeah. You know? And um I think that 
that like that abstraction and maybe sure there was some racism and you know whatever but i think that abstraction it's taken a hold of it, it will take a hold of you when you're just chasing that all the time you know yeah. you're chasing this how do things look how does it look how does it look is it you know like if those people have this i have to it's keeping up with the joneses yeah. thing but yeah. it seems like to me that the super rich have taken this to a level where it's mm. not it used to be that you you sort of had this paternal attitude towards the place that you were making money mm. you know like my you know whether you're a vanderbilt or a carnegie or the melons or those people you know they all sort of had a paternal like i want to make my environment a better place you know they saw their symbiosis with the yeah. environment they lived yeah. in yeah and we're going to better the culture with our right and yeah. maybe that was self-serving, but it's still it was it's practical, you know. And, yeah. and regardless of whether it's altruistic or self-serving, it accomplished the same end, right? You know. Right. And this like put it all overseas is abstracted it to such a degree that these they're not only above it, they're disenfranchised themselves from the community. Like you're saying, it is a bubble, and it is the worst kind of bubble ever because they're they're not even mindfully like you know fertilizing the areas that. that used to be they made their money they just live there yeah you know yeah they're not really part of the economy in a yep. weird way yeah you know so i think i mean my goal is to have compassion for like all people including those people who appear to have everything and they're the oppressors oh, yeah. because they're humans and they they are suffering some kind of fucking way to be in that it's a very altruistic know? way of looking at this yeah well i think it's I don't think it's altruistic. I think it's practical. Well, a very empathetic way. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's practical. Like, you know, I have to, like, say, look, it just doesn't make sense that these are just some other breed of human being, you know, and we're the good, humble, poor people. Yeah. And, no, because then you'll miss your opportunity to become like that. You know, you, you, could, you could very easily be just as cut off and just as disconnected and just as oppressive to the people around you if you don't ident- recognize yeah. the human thing that's right that, that they're doing that's you know? right and that human thing is like that's their pack they are doing what they can to keep up with their pack and i think it benefits everybody to recognize in your daily activity how are you acting like that yeah you know it's not an exotic set of behaviors it's human you know yeah yeah let's on that i, I have nothing to <laughs> chime in because i have nothing but agreeing with you yeah yeah well um I think we've been going for a while here. I did want to. <laughs> I did want to. You exhausted? This is, no, I'm not. I could do this all day, literally. Um, but the more, the longer they get, the uh, more they have to be compressed in order to go yeah. up, and then they turn. They sound like they're underwater, and they you reduce the bit rate too much. I may have to break this one up, but this is you know, epic. This will be a nine-parter. Epic a... conversation. I really didn't know. Uh, <laughs> What we were, you know, I, I, I expected to find you a lot less um, relatable or down to earth. Really? Because, yeah, because of what you do. I, I didn't know that we would it would be so easy to talk. Yeah. There go my projections. Yeah. yeah. I mean, please. I feel connected I'm a to you. Girl, I am. Man. I'm a Churchill girl. Come <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Well, so there, that was just, I'm not saying there was any basis for that. It was. Have you uh, ever met somebody who was who was so radically different from their when you knew them as a child? I mean, like radically different so that you didn't recognize them at their core. I think that's. 
I, that's happened. Has yeah. it? Uh, I mean, the first time I actually saw, I don't want to, like, I don't know, maybe nobody will ever listen to this or whatever, but the first time I saw Mac after he really had gotten into being a lawyer or whatever he is, yeah. he had gone from being yeah. life, like Richmond Strikers, yeah. you know, yeah. soccer player to, like, that Politburo, like, yeah. you know, job. Like, he, I was just like, who the hell? Yeah. And he was still Mac. He said hi to me. Yeah. You know, and and so, but it, I couldn't. I was frightened by his visage hmm. at that point. I was just going so much in the other direction. Like, yeah. He just seemed like he'd become a, a suit at a young age, mm. like really become a suit. Yeah. Right? And um, that kind of that wasn't even that was twenty. We were like twenty two. Do you remember point. where Mac went to school? I think. He went to collegiate or yeah i think you're right somewhere, somewhere like that yeah i don't i don't remember i remember hearing people went to places like montessori's and like because that's where the uh damon and reuben they did a little bit of time at at bellevue or um damon and reuben cressida's brothers oh yes duh you know damon well, they, is were, like, they were openers they I were love open. to get his ass on it he is fucking like in obama's like you know, administration kind. He's like a labor lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fucking our dungeon master. Our dungeon yeah. master. You know, like the where is where is Cressy? I don't even know what, what Cressy's gotten up she's to. Up in the northeast somewhere. I forget. They were all here. My parents are in touch with um, Dorothy. And where Dorothy. where is Dorothy? Uh, she lives in like uh, Portland, Maine. Oh. And and then and. I think some other families up there, they still have the Cranberry Island, you know, stronghold. So they go there in the summertime and okay. on the mainland in the wow. winter because you can't winter. You can't be like over 25 in winter on an island in Northeast No, not Harvard. a good idea. Definitely. Um, it's still pretty rough. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so now we're really getting into like the stuff that probably nobody wants to hear. So. All right. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Emily. For You're welcome. That was awesome. It's awesome. Okay, that was a good long one. And uh, how do you guys feel about that part towards the end where we're just talking about our family and friends? Does that bother you? I don't know. I was gonna take all of that out, but then my my cousin said, "No, you gotta leave it in like you leave everything else." And maybe somebody would like to hear that. So that is the guiding force of the editing process there is none because i don't want to take out something that you might want to hear so it's all there stupid proclamations angry rants like the one at the beginning um misinformation misquotes uh incorrect non-fat checked uh statements pronunciations pronouncements it's all there you know why because nobody's perfect and why give you a sanitized uh, product? It's perfect, but that's not necessary. You get to get in the world and feel it all and say to yourself, at the very least, if Curtis can put all this shit out there and hang his ass in the wind, then maybe I can take a, can be a little bit more vulnerable myself as these other people. And again, I didn't invent this idea. I, l I listen to other podcasts that I do, and I love it. So... I wanted to do it for you guys here in Richmond. Um, so, 
We uh, got some other some other ones in the can lined up. Um, I again will hope hopefully get to them weekly. Sometimes it'll be two weeks, but I get Dana Walters, Project Yoga Richmond, and uh, Rashad Penn, who is a uh, local like metal singer and rocker who's kind of in between trying something new and getting out of something old. And I never really talked to him before. That was that was really cool. And then I, I'm gonna get. Brandy um, Price, is that her last name? Kyle Harris's wife, lead singer Diamond Center. Before they leave, the Diamond Center is leaving. It's very sad. So you know, they got a show coming up at uh, Hardywood, and this is going to be our last chance to see them here. So going back to Texas. So um, do that. Go to that show. Check them out. And. Uh, you know, also, something's kind of cool. Mike Bishop has got a TED Talk type thing coming up at the uh, Altria Theater. That will be very interesting. I hope to get tickets for that and check that out. I've been trying to get him on the show, but he's just stone cold ignoring me now. So um, I don't know what that's about, but I guess maybe maybe one day these some of these elder statesmen of Richmond Alterna Rock will deign to sit in the chair again. But so far, I'm getting nowhere with most of them. I don't know what that's about, but I can accept it. Oh, fuck. We're at three hours on this goddamn... Oh, well. I better stop talking. Namaste, motherfucker.